So welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is my co-host from the left coast. He's come here for forgiveness. He's come to raise the dead. He's come here to play Jesus to the lepers in your head. Here's Wayne Fugate. Uh, hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's the curator of the Spotify playlist called I Like Music More Than I Like People. So he's going to get along just fine with Wayne. <laughs> Yeah. He's been uh, turning out great tunes forever, including some recent stuff like his 2019 EP called Postcards from Chicago and one of my favorite records from 2018 called Matt Nathanson Sings a Sad Heart. So please welcome to the podcast, Matt Nathanson. Oh, man, that was that. That's a great intro. I need that to play every time I wake up in the morning. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, once the, once the podcast is live, you know, you can download that and listen to it every time. Yeah. Chop off that intro and every morning when I'm brushing my teeth, I can feel good about myself. That's right. And and I tried to do so so Wayne actually made me write his intro for this for this episode cuz I tried to do so this is my co-host from the left coast. He lives in Washington state and oh the mistakes that he's made in Washington state. Here. <laughs> And uh, he wouldn't let me do that because I, I don't know if he's familiar with the Washington State fight song from uh, from Matt Nathanson. So, yeah. Oof. yeah. Well, and, you're, and luckily you have not made Bow mistakes down. like that in your life, which is great. Well, I, I want to give you kudos because you at least pronounce Spokane correctly for that song. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've been to. Yeah, I've been to Spokane many times. The Spokane. I don't I don't get the Spokane. <laughs> There, there. I, I just listened to a podcast recently where they were talking about Bing Crosby, and so they were they kept pronouncing, "Well, you know, he was from Spokane," and I'm like, "Oh gosh, oh, no!" The worst. All right, I know Spokane because I've seen uh, I've seen Vision Quest so many times, which I don't know if you've <laughs> seen, but the wrestling oh, movie that's place in Spokane. It's one of my favorite movies. Matthew Modine <laughs> uh, jogging through the streets of, of uh, Spokane. Um, and I lived there for a year. And so the, uh, the restaurant where Madonna did the Crazy for You. Yeah. Gambler and Crazy for You. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, actually, she actually filmed that in Spokane. I don't know if that restaurant is still around. That was, good Lord. When, when did I live in Spokane, Wayne? 20, 22 years ago. Yeah, that's that's a long, that was, long time. That was a crap ton long ago. All right. Um, well, Matt, at the beginning of each of our podcasts, we uh, we do the T-shirt question. So, so what T-shirt are you wearing? Well, so I'm currently wearing uh, a hoodie from my high school. Does that's not cool at all? <laughs> and and the name of the high school. It's called Proctor Academy, and it's uh, in New Hampshire. And and I so all of my concert T-shirts, like my Skid Row shirts and my REM shirts and my Indigo Girls shirts. I mean, I've had concert T-shirts all my life, and then as I got older, they just like I don't know where they went. And pretty much my wardrobe is black T-shirts. Uh, yeah. So I don't have any. I've got. I think I've got like a some. Times when I play a show, people like give me a Def Leppard Hysteria tour shirt or a Joshua Tree tour shirt or something in like, but, but in the eighties, the clothes 
like an extra large in 1986, that's a that's a small in 2019. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like the hu- human the human body. Nothing says they're putting shit in our food quite like the changing <laughs> of the human body. Like, uh, or, or or that or that the clothing industry is. Uh, but I mean, it's incredible. Like it, an extra large shirt from 1986 or 1987. Joshua Tree concert shirt is is literally like a, at best a medium. So, uh, but yes. I'm wearing my high school uh, hoodie. So that's not as cool as if I was wearing, you know, my Skid Row or my Pearl Jam t-shirts. But I don't know where the ones that I owned went. And then, even if I had them, I'm just not sure they would fit. Well, you're you're married, right? Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say it could have been Ben's wife. She's she's got a thing for getting rid of. God. Yeah, we we've t- we've talked about the great T-shirt purge of 2003 on this podcast many times. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was it was just this magical in the middle of the night. My Toad the Wet Sprocket, Tom Petty, REM, U2, Pearl Jam, all those shirts just disappeared. Um, and uh, Dude, I, I know who I, I know who the culprit is. Yes. <laughs> I've got some I, I'm I still wear clothes literally high school clothes. So I still have a pair of thermal underpants from nineteen eighty nine. So I oh my but gosh. I and I don't know, maybe I hide them well. <laughs> Nobody can throw them out. There you go. There you go. Wayne, how about you? What t shirt are you wearing? Um, I got this I don't know, a couple months back, but it's from a an indie label based out of London called Ninja Tune. And I just did it because it was a cool name, and it involved ninjas. <laughs> well, I mean, sure. I guess that's that's one criteria for buying a T-shirt. Is, Here's the thing: is I don't know ninja. how much I paid for it because the the price was in pounds. I didn't check my. I should check my visa statement for the conversion. I either paid too much or, or got a really good deal. I don't know which one. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm wearing a T-shirt that I've worn before, and it's my uh, Matt Nathanson 2019 tour T-shirt. Oh my god, that's great! So I'm I'm going to be that guy who wears the shirt of his podcast guest. I hope that's Dude, cool. It's that so right? cool. And here's the deal: when I toured in like 2000, maybe 17 or 18, I loved the tour shirt that we had, and I wore it every night on stage, and then threw it out into the crowd, and. Uh, Man, people think you're an idiot when you they're like like the YouTube clip of there's a YouTube clip that went around of us doing You Shook Me All Night Long for fun with Andrew McMahon and the crowd like responded and sang the entire song. So we just it was it was kind of magical. I started with just the first chord of You Shook Me All Night Long and everybody sang the entire song. And it became kind of like a it Ashton Kutcher retweeted it and stuff, and it got a lot of and some of the comments were like, the guy's wearing his own T-shirt in the – and I, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, I am. Proudly. That's right. Yeah, I am. I'm rocking this, baby. I, You know, and I, I would have worn my um, Joshua Tree 30th oh, yeah. anniversary T-shirt, but after I purchased it when I saw you two in Tampa a couple years ago, so I get the the – the the shirt home and it won't fit my my fat ass like it yeah. it it says it's xl so going back to your conversation matt it it says oh, it's xl it's not sucks. xl there's no way that was an oh, xl that sucks and you just, yeah. you just got comfort confirmation on matt's theory right there yeah 
And 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 I Absolutely. still have yeah. sort of like Absolutely. PTSD from losing an actual Joshua Tree T-shirt on the outside leg of the Joshua Tree tour at Sullivan Stadium in Boston in 1980. Mm. So it had to have been the summer of '87, and uh, I dropped it somewhere amongst the hordes, and uh, I haven't found it anywhere. <laughs> it's gone. gone. It's it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> All right. Well. Well, Matt, let me let me get some of the fanboy stuff out of the way first. All right. Okay. So I've I've been a fan of yours since I saw you in had to have been either ninety five or ninety six in Utah. And since I'm a fifty year old dude with an ever rapidly um failing memory, I can't remember if I saw you in Salt Lake or if I saw you in Provo. Did you ever play in Provo, Utah? Yeah, did you are you LDS? Did you go to did you go to BYU? I went to BYU. Yep. Yeah, so it's possible that you saw me at the JSB Auditorium on campus, or you saw me. That, that's quite possible. As yeah, well. or there was a place um, called there was it changed names a bunch, but this kid Corey, who was a great concert promoter in Provo, I played in this venue a bunch. Uh, vinyl, I think, is what it was called at one point. But man, I played I played Provo probably yeah ten times you know, at that, in in that period of time. So it could have been any of that. And we're about the same age. Yeah. Did you know somebody that, that went to BYU? Yeah. My best friends from when I was a kid growing up, uh, went to BYU and then I went to visit them and a lot of their friends started liking my first couple records. And so I went back kind of routinely before I started touring for real, I would I had a day job and that but I would still fly out there every six months and kind of play a show. It was super fun. All right. Super fun. Did you did you ever play at Mama's Cafe? Oh yeah. Mama's was what Mama's so we st- we put a show together at Mama's Cafe ourselves. We like built a stage and like brought in yes. a sound system. Yes. Okay, that's yeah. where I saw you. That is where I saw you first. Oh my god, that that's is incredible. hilarious. That is hilarious. That and I've been do, following would, you ever since. Oh, uh, that's the coolest. That's DYI. Like, we literally rented that room and took two days to, like, build a stage and find chairs. And then that was one of the first shows I played in Provo, yeah. And I'm pretty sure you played at least two U2 songs during that. Oh, I mean, that's if I, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> S- sweetest thing. I remember Sweetest Thing. was. was I'm pretty yeah. sure that was you, right? Sweetest oh, yeah. Thing? Yeah, that was before that they reissued set. it. Yeah, that was before they reissued it on the greatest hits. So it felt like, you know, we knew something other people didn't know if you knew Sweetest Thing. All right. I'm I just got validation here because I've been telling everybody for the longest time. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was Mama's Cafe that I saw Matt back in the day. That's that's when I jumped on the Matt train. I love it. I that love is it. awesome. Oh my God, that's the All coolest right. thing ever. All right. Well, all right, so that's that's first fanboy thing. So second fanboy thing, I have to say that my house is very divided in the music department. So like my wife is all about new country. My daughter's into show tunes and boy bands. My 15-year-old's favorite is The Weeknd. And my oldest, he just listens to video game soundtracks. But the one thing that we can all agree on Whenever we go on any of our Montgomery family road trips is we can all agree on Matt Nathanson. Dude, so, I love that. So you brought us you Bring brought us together, together, Matt. 
This is my goal. Yeah, uniting families for for generations to come. <laughs> it's awesome. I feel like, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, and and when I told my wife that I was going to have you on the podcast, she laughed and she said, um, "So so this is this is the one thing that I didn't prep you for at the beginning of our podcast is I always tell our guest." So we typically try and stay PG thirteen, and and she has seen you live in concert, and she oh, said, no. "There's <laughs> there's no way that episode is going to be PG thirteen with Matt's potty mouth." So, yeah. So Wayne is usually the reason why we're not PG thirteen. Right. So I think Wayne is salivating, knowing that fact that um, the f bombs are probably going to flow freely. Uh, you know what? I was and I had never heard. Yeah, I mean, I'd listen to to the uh, the stuff that Matt or uh, that Ben introduced me to, but I, I today I actually listened to the live at the point, and I'm like, oh, this is you know what, this is great. This is going to be perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm a. It's crazy. We it's one of something funny to full circle when I don't swear. Like there are certain shows where in my life where people be like, well, you're not allowed to swear because it's a college, but it's a Christian college or whatever. Like play a certain place where they say no swearing, and I call it my Mormon set. <laughs> because because when I played in Provo, I couldn't really swear on stage, and so and I right. swear it's my own, my only real vice is swearing, and so I have like a Mormon filter that I can put on that, you know, if I know in advance, I can catch all the words I like to use, but uh, yeah. That's yeah, I mean, if you would have played at the JSB and you would have swore like they would have kicked your ass out of there, yes, quicker they, than anything. Yep. That was my f- beginning yeah. of my Mormon set where they said no swearing. <laughs> they picked certain song like and we were just like, all right, you know, and we sold out the JSB and it was fun. And and I was like, all right, I'll, this is worth not swearing for. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I got some some additional questions for you. So uh, are you a podcast guy? Do you listen to podcasts? I listen to some. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm traveling. Who, who are some of your go to's? So, uh, let me look. So there's a, there's soda jerker, their songwriter. Oh yeah. They they interview songwriters. It's incredible. Um, let's see. I like, uh, song song exploder guy. Song exploder is okay. It's kind of unsatisfying. Uh, I don't know why, but it's like, it doesn't really work for me, but there's one called, um, let's see. Uh, there's one called. Are you getting ready to say broken record? Yeah, broken record. Yeah, which I like some of those really quite a bit. Although I get a little Malcolm Gladwelled out. But uh, we just had Ju- we just had Justin Richmond on the podcast last week. Oh, all right, okay. And, well, and then did you listen to Eddie Trunk's podcast? Is another one I listen to. Um, no, I can't stand Eddie Trunk. Yeah, that's how it works. Some people can't <laughs> stand Eddie Trunk. Yeah. Um, I usually go for like who the guests are over the actual um, podcast, yeah. but, but like Tape Ops got a good podcast that I listen to, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I listen to Dean Del Rey occasionally has guests I really like. Tim Ferriss okay. has had guests I like. So that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. All right. The reason why I'm bringing this up is so one of my favorite podcast episodes ever for any podcast was when you appeared on Pete Holmes, you made it weird. Oh, man, he's the best. You guys talked for like three minutes about music, and then you just proceeded to act as each other's therapist for the remainder of the time. That was 
the best two hours. Oh my gosh, <laughs> dude! I so good. I, I felt the same way. I literally left his house and I was like, dude, that was incredible. Like I feel like we had some sort of like. He, we just connected because we grew up, as you know, from that podcast, we grew up in the same town, yeah. but we didn't know each other. I'm a little older than he is. And we just sort of seemingly have a lot of the same questions about the universe. And it was like, and it was totally awesome. That was like the best. And, and so I'm just going to, I'm just going to plug Pete's, Pete's podcast for, for everyone to listen to. Cause oh my gosh, it it's been great. So, so Given that you've been on a number of podcasts, you've been interviewed a ton on radio shows, whatever. I, so I don't want to cover territory that you've already talked about a ton. So what are the topics that you wish people would just stop asking you about? Oh, man, I just wish people would only ask me about other people's music. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. It's so much yeah. more fun. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. It, no, but I'm saying it like that's truly... I like like talking about music, whatever that saying is like dancing about architecture or whatever. As I get older and make music more, I find that even discussing like coming on here and talking about my favorite record of all time is great. But it's like music is so based on the person that's listening that that anybody that I think I've just given up on thinking there's a right way and a wrong way to like, you know, for example, you, you know, we kind of we we put the songs from Octung Baby in, in kind of a pecking order. And mm-hmm. that was impossible. I mean, that was, there's definitely a couple songs I think are kind of throwaways, like just one or two, but they serve a purpose, but it was impossible to like, because music is so magical that like talking about my own music or someone else's music is always just a little bit weird, but I'm much better at talking about other people's music than my own. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, and once we get yeah. to the scoring, we will we will definitely be on opposite ends for a few songs. So, oh, I love it. Oh my bu- god. Buckle up. Buckle up. It's going to be fun. Um bring it. Bring so, it. So 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 based off of of wanting to talk about other people's music. So, let's let's talk about your Chicago EP and the Pyromadia EPs then. Since the that was oh, yeah. you so- you covering other people. Yeah, I, I, uh, my manager had a great idea. I was always um, a little bit annoyed that people didn't know how much of a music nerd I am. And uh, and so we kind of got this idea in between real albums of my own songs. Why don't we pull together kind of like covers EPs that are all have different themes and they're all in celebration of music that I love. And so the first one was Def Leppard. Um, Pyromadia, which was six Def Leppard songs, because I'm a humongous, humongous Def Leppard fan. And then the next one was we we had a couple days off in Chicago, and so I decided to, uh, over the summer before and before the tour started, and I was like, why don't we record? And we got in and in at the Wilco Loft, yeah. And we so we recorded in the Wilco Loft, which is like magical, and and like one of my bucket list experiences. And then we were like, well, why don't we just do all sh- songs from the city of Chicago? And then I got to rope in Patrick from Fallout Boy and Richard Marks, and who are both from Chicago. And uh, so it was super fun. And now I'm working on a couple more that have different um, different themes that I can't reveal. But it's really mm-hmm. fun to like deep dive on weird ass songs that no sometimes nobody else knows. 
and I'm assuming there were a few people when you released the Chicago one that were like, what is this whiskey bottle song? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and then, and to truthfully, because, you know, uncle Tupelo is from Illinois, but they're kind of outside, way outside, you yeah. know, of Chicago. But I felt like I couldn't do a Wilco song because I did record, we recorded at the Wilco loft and I saw uncle Tupelo live in college and they were one of my favorite bands saw them um right before they broke up but um the the no depression record and the anodyne record kind of killed me and the acoustic record yeah and so it was fun to sort of throw that one in and uh, i had a couple other weirder ones much weirder ones but uh you know sometimes you just can't sometimes interpretation falls flat so if there's a you know one that would have been fun to do but uh well, so the next one we got some artsy ones too well, what were the ones that uh, you just couldn't make work for the Chicago thing? So, so there was a bunch. There was like I wanted to do. I tried a bunch of. Uh, so the Fallout Boy song that we did ended up being kind of a weird one, but we tried really hard to do it. <laughs> this is crazy, but and this isn't super obscure. We tried. Uh, I wanted to do like Cheap Trick. I really wanted to do a song called She's Tight, yeah, which is one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs. And uh, it just did, yeah. definitely didn't work without Robin Zander singing it. It was just, I sounded like an <laughs> asshole. And then, uh, <laughs> and then um, w- I wanted to do Survivor. Um, I can't hold back, which is one of my favorite Survivor Great songs, song. and that got outvoted. That's uh, such a good song. That got outvoted, and uh, so there were just some sort of weird ones. I was like, and also I really wanted to do a Kanye song, but I that that's something I definitely couldn't pull off because. I sounded like an idiot, you know, trying to do a Kanye song. And right. there's very few Kanye songs that don't have like bitch or the N word or whatever. And like, definitely can't pull that off. So no. as a huge Kanye West fan, I like dug through my favorite Kanye West songs. And I was like, well, definitely not going to be doing any of these. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a bummer. That was a total bummer. Yeah. And, and uh, Wayne, you're you're a Def Leppard fan as well. So what what was your what was your go to off of Pyromania? I love uh, bringing on the heartache, but I, I the one that because one thing that that showed me was I guess I never gave Joe Elliott a lot of credit as a lyricist. But when you hear those songs in a different context where you can more focus on what he well the words, I was uh, I was a little bit more impressed with Joe because I'm a huge Def Leppard fan too. Um, and promises, which was I that that seemed like an odd choice, but it really worked. Yeah, yeah, man, that re- that whole record, I love that that record. The promises on with like Demolition Man, and I mean, oh, I could have done. It, it's funny that we tried a song called Tonight. We tried a song called. We tried a bunch. I really wanted to do Photograph, which is my one of my favorite songs of all time. And you just can't, or or Armageddon. It, you know, there's certain songs you just animal. You can't pull off when the chorus is like, "And I want, and I need, and I lust." Right. Animal. It just like definitely sounds idiotic coming out <laughs> of my mouth. Yeah, and you you yeah, would have fooling wouldn't have worked either. No. I don't think no. you would have had a hard the time. I what? think pulling off the uh, the high parts of photograph. Well, yeah, and so does Joe. I mean, the, uh, that's everybody else really yeah. does those. So uh, I was ready to have a six-part harmony happening, but uh, <laughs> we couldn't pull it off. Did you ever see that uh, the the little crossover um, show that they used to have on CMT? There was oh, yeah, a with Taylor there Swift. was 
Yes, that was that's like my all time favorite version of photograph because Joe just let her have all the high parts and she killed it. Yeah, that was a great. Uh, she was she murdered that show and and Def Leppard were killing. That was a really good one. Yeah, I like that show a lot. All right, so you're you're not gonna you're not gonna tell us what the other uh, EPs forthcoming are. So, um, Hair Ballads of the Eighties is that one? Oh my god! I wish, I, and that might be one in 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 line. It's just not the next. It's really hard to find like a really compelling theme, but I think we've got a couple in a row that are really good. I've been working on one with Jennifer from Sugarland for a little nice. bit. That's fun. So that one probably will see the light of day, end of the year, and uh, we're working on a couple other ones. So yeah, no, I can't tell you, but they're they're pretty rad. I'm sorry. I want to hear you uh, rocking Cinderella's Nobody's Fool. Dude. That's what we want to hear. No, people want to hear that. I can do that. I got it. Or shake me. Oh, dude. Or push, push from the second side of that record, which is like one of my favorite songs. Or save me. That record's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's solid. I'm gonna guess that one of the things you're working on is a Prince Prince EP. Oh my god, doing a Prince EP. He's the he's the greatest we've ever seen. I, I and I can't answer that, but he is the greatest we've ever seen. I mean. I have. I'm looking up now as we talk at my three Prince Funko Pops, my Prince votive Saint Prince <laughs> candle, and my Prince uh, tiny like drawing picture that someone gave me in Minneapolis, like of a cartoon of Prince's face. So yeah, I love Prince. Perfect. Oh, God. All right. What do, what do we call that? Are we going to call it Take Matt with you? <laughs> I want to be your cover. Purple Matt. What what what? Purple mat. I could never take the place of your mat. Oh, I love that. I could never take the place you of your go. mat. Strong. All right. Give me credit. I want credit for that when, <laughs> yeah, when that Prince EP comes out. All right. Uh, so one thing of, of note that still is pretty fresh for me is the Record Store Day release of Some Mad Hope on vinyl, which I didn't get because I had surgery on my wrist the Wednesday before Black Friday. I couldn't convince any of my teenagers to actually drive me to the record store early on a day off from school, so I didn't get it. Have you, have you seen how much they're selling for on eBay now? No. I, I, I We had nothing to do with that, unfortunately. So, because I don't, I, own know. That, I don't own that record anymore, um, the label is just like, guess what? We're going to put out a thing. And we were like, well, can you, maybe we should do it in the April record store day. They're like, nope, doing it on the black. It's like, we really, every time we, they were nice enough to let us kind of, cause usually in those situations, they don't even let the artist listen to it. We listened to the master and, uh, and approved it and all that stuff. So they ended up being pretty cool about it, but it was out of my hands. And so they did a limited print, which I wouldn't have done. They did, they just did a bunch of stuff. So I'm, I'm sorry that that was a, uh, I would have driven you. I would have driven you there. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I remind my kids all the time. I'm like, I still don't have a copy of that. <laughs> How much so. is it? I on eBay. I have no idea, but I'm sure it's annoying. I the the lowest price I saw was like sixty five bucks. Oh yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. And that's why we found no. a bunch of Modern Love, <laughs> and these people have been paying two hundred and something dollars for Modern Love on eBay, and uh, yeah. and, and we found a box at the like I didn't find it, but the merch people found a box. So we we put those on sale too, and those sold real fast. So, yeah, yeah, vinyl's crazy right now. Yeah, every, every, yeah, it's crazy. So I I do have one some Mad Hope related question that's been bugging me for forever. 
Hit me. So a lyric and harp, lyric and heartbreak world. Are you paying homage to Till Tuesday uh, with the line? A thousand percent. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Amy Mann is one of my favorite writers. And um, I'm paying homage to that song even more coming up is what I'm getting at. But uh, not to tie us back into the uh, EP conversation. But that's one of my favorite songs of all time. And Amy, and the last Till Tuesday record and the first Amy Mann record are two of my favorite records of all time. So... Uh, and that was on the second Amy Man coming up close, but that song's magical. I mean, magic. I'm a, such a humongous Amy Man fanatic. So yeah, that was a total tip of the hat. Just like f- I have a song, that song "Faster" is totally a tip of the hat to to um, George Michael Faith. So I just feel like that's what I'm saying. I, if I could, I and there's a song called "Love Comes Tumbling Down," which is an homage to the YouTube yeah. B side. Um, so B-side. I'm trying yeah. to throw nerdy shit in here and there. <laughs> Well, we love Amy Mann on the podcast. We did an episode uh, a couple months ago for mental illness with oh, yeah. uh, Lee Nash. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Oh, so that, yeah. That was, a, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Well, I, I'll do another one. on uh, If you want to do the first Amy Mann record, I'm in. If you want to do the last Till Tuesday record, everything's different now. I could, I'd love to come on this every week and just sit, like talk... I mean, I am so down. As long as my internet connection is up to your up to snuff, I want to be here every week. Let's do this every Thursday night. Done. All right. You'll be you'll you'll be permanent second co-host. I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm down for that. That rules. All right. So I, I have to ask you because I am a follower of your Spotify playlist. So I'm one of the nine thousand four hundred eighteen strong of your playlist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, does anybody come up to you and say, hey, I discovered so-and-so because of your playlist? Yeah, they do. They'll say, um, oh, my God, I can't believe that's, that song's so good. Or certain songs remain obscure that are on that playlist, and there are certain songs that were big that are on that playlist. But the ones that people really come up to me about are the ones that were obscure when they heard it, but then became adopted by a bunch of other people and became kind of a big deal. And so that's always fun when they're yeah. like, the first time I heard Funeral by... Phoebe Bridgers was on your, you know, or the first time I heard this song, it was on your thing. And so that that's always fun. I love it. We're, we're doing a Phoebe Bridgers episode in a couple of weeks. Oh. Super excited. She and I used Wayne to- probably has no idea oh who God. she is. I Yes, I do. That's terrible. <laughs> so good. We use the same um, artist on the covers of our records independently of each other. I had a record called... Uh, show me your fangs and we used um i used an artist that puts ghosts over the top of yeah found photographs and her name is escaping me because i'm old um but she's the best <laughs> um anyway and then phoebe bridges did the same thing okay so so how does somebody get on your your playlist who is an up-and-coming uh, artist? Because I, I got a few names that we could throw on your playlist and give them some love. Oh, my God. If I like them, send them to me. I'd love to hear. I'm always open. Okay. I'm always in search of, um, like, always in search. Yeah. Who, Based off of the playlist, Wayne, do you think that Matt would like – Ships have sailed. Would like Roger Harvey. Would like Grayson Foster. Send me all of them. Oh my god! I'm just gonna write them down. Email me all of them. Okay, I'm totally down. And by the I way, will. Angela Dean is the woman who did the cover of Phoebe's record and my record. 
Um, okay. But yeah, send me any. I, I mean, I troll people's playlists all the time in search of transcendent music all the time. So do That's I. what I do. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, hit yeah. me with anything you have. Okay. Perfect. We'll 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 give them a little love. We we've had all those guys on our podcast, and they've all been amazing. And um, we we would love to give them any kind of little extra promo that they that they can get. You know. Yeah. Oh my god. To- yeah. Send it to me. If I love it, I'll put it in. Yeah. If I love it, I'm I will sing its praises. So Wayne, do you realize that one of the artists on Matt's playlist is an uh, artist that you really love? I'm trying to look at Toto. It so will Toto? Oh, Toto! Uh, <laughs> so the song, I did the, not, I didn't know so the song Rosanna is on on uh, Matt's playlist, but I don't see Africa. So that leads us up to uh, our our transition question, which is: So Matt, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? Oh my God, it's magical! Magical! You're my favorite guest. Oh, yeah, no, there dude, that song is that song is transcendent. Yeah. Any anybody that gets the lyric Sarah if Serengeti, I mean like can get the word Serengeti in a song, I'm so in and then make it so hooky, like are you kidding me? Toto all the way. Yes. All right. Perfect. Wayne, you you got a big comeback to make, man. Big comeback. You know what? You got to fight the good fight. All right. So, yes. All right. To Matt, when did you become a U2 fan? Probably 1983. Three. So boy, no boy was eighty, um, right? And then October was eighty-two. Is that true? I don't have my Wikipedia mm. page. Boy was eighty. Okay, boy, boy was eighty-one. Boy was 81. Right. So so war. 80, yeah, war. And then live under blood red sky. Th- those were my records. Okay. Um, and those were the records that I came in on. And then Boy in October, quickly, I loved. And then Unforgettable Fire was the one that I got kind of when it came out. And it blew my mind. And yes. uh, that was so good. So so which which of those records kind of sealed your fate as a U2 fan? Unforgettable Fire, for, for sure, with my cassette yeah. Walkman. Uh, because that was when yeah. Eno got in, got in, you know... It's like as soon as Eno entered the picture, the records got really, um, they got cinematic and, and Lan, Lanois and Eno both, they got cinematic and sort of, they took on a depth and they started to get real dreamy. And, uh, that mm-hmm. was it for me. The first three are amazing, but they're kind of a punk, punky sort of like punky band, you know, with war being super aggressive the most aggressive because of the sound of that snare. And then Unforgettable Fire was just sort of like dreamy and cinematic and amazing. And then Joshua Tree kind of blew my face off my body. How about you, Wayne? What, uh, what sailed it for you? Uh, what this, this sealed it. I mean, I was already, I, I, the first thing I ever heard from him was the, the live at Red Rock stuff under on, under a blood red sky. Um, I, I know I saw, I will follow I, the video on some long MTV binge one night, but, uh, this record up until this, cause there's an odds. I didn't, I, I guess I was in a different place when, uh, I, when uh, when Joshua Tree came out, I had just discovered Beastie uh, Boys, Appetite for Destruction. Beastie Boys, oh yeah, Appetite, 
appetite. 1987 was a brutally good year for music, by the way. Brutally good year. Fantastic. I, I still say it's the best year ever. And so it was awfully different from, like you like you say, that punky, you know, band that started up. And so I, I, I don't, and also I had this thing where I was fly against the face of convention, what everybody, every, everybody else was liking. I couldn't like it just for that. I went through a phase like that. And then I had my, rattle and hum was not, I, I had, I guess I was conflicted about the, the mixing live tracks with studio tracks, even though I love, I mean, Desire is one of my favorite U2 songs. I think Angel of Harlem and Love Comes to Town are incredible, um, you know, tributes to, uh, you know, an an incredible singer and a, and a, intrinsically important, you know, genre. But then Octune Baby came out and I was, I I just, in fact, listening to it this week, like, I think this might be my favorite band. I mean, I just, they're just incredible. Yeah, I mean, and then what they did from here on was even, it's just like, say other bands evolved too, like Guns N' Roses, which was, you know, my favorite band around the time Joshua Tree was big. They got they evolved, but they evolved into this big bloated, you know, rock and roll carnival. Whereas these guys just kept getting better and changed the way music was done. I mean, there were no there was no rock band. This this you know there was nothing like this in rock and in, in rock and roll. Well, it's funny you said that eighty seven was a, was probably the best year for music in your lifetime or whatever, and it was incredible, right? I mean, I think Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me came out. Um, yep. Appetite, Sign of the Times. Know, Sign of the Times. Um, what else? In excess kick, right? Uh, it was just and and it was and appetite changed the world, and so did Josh Tree. But to me, equally as good a year was '91, which was Nevermind, Pearl Jam, Ten, yeah. uh, Bad Motor Finger, Temple of a Dog, Pixies, Trompe Le Monde, U um, Two, Octung Baby. I mean, it's like, but but so yeah. And for me, U Two is my favorite band of all time. Uh, because of the fact that they're definitely just four very human beings, unlike Prince, unlike Bob Dylan, unlike Joni Mitchell, who are sort of like aliens or Stevie wonder or, you know, whatever, unlike the alien people who make music that sounds like it was beamed in from another planet and, and they, they're untouchable. U two is like very much for very human people touching this sort of amazing thing. And they never stopped pushing. I, now, I, I definitely argue that maybe from all that you can't leave behind on definitely felt like I haven't really liked the last couple of YouTube records at all. And the before that, the kind of the 2000s output has been a little spotty for me. But up until pop, up until they really failed on such a big level, up until pop for me, it was like all, all systems go. Everything was getting better. This band is the greatest band that's ever lived in my mind and then pop was a failure and then they kind of pulled their punches and made kind of like a record that was good but felt a little bit like they were looking like these are our strengths they never played to their strengths before they always played to like moving the ball down the field and then at a certain point it felt like we got to play to our strengths here this is what we're good at and the records were still good and there were still transcendent moments on them but it wasn't the same band. U2 goes in like, to me, there's like three stages. There's like the punk, there's like the rock and roll band stage. Then there's the rock and roll band meets theater. And then there's the all theater part, which is kind of the later half of their career, later third of their career. And so, um, 
But yeah, I think they're sort of untouchable because they're very much, they're very flawed in terms of like, it's not like Prince who had every color in the, you know, in the paint can at his disposal. It's like you too is, does make smart decisions, bring in smart collaborators and make records where they can recognize what's transcendent and they capitalize on it in the moment. And that's why they're the best because it's like, that's, it's so rad to see humans be that way. And they're willing to take some chances along the way and, and do things that are kind of outside the formula, which we're totally going to get at while we discuss this record. Cause, uh, they definitely did a reversal of what rattle and hum was. So I didn't, I didn't tell you guys what sealed the, the, Oh, tell us what's yours. Yeah, what record did it for you? Wide Awake in America, the EP that came out. Perfect. Right in between. Yeah, yeah. That uh, the the live version of Bad. Um, I will go, and that one too. I I will go on record that the live version of Bad is my favorite song. Oh yeah, I not 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 just favorite U two song, but like favorite song. It's awesome. Like yeah, so. And that's U2's thing. For a while, what they did was they would do in-between records things. So they do like, first record was Boy, second was October. Then they did War. Then they did Live Under Blood Red Sky, which was kind of like a, a, a like a sort of a palate cleanse that led to Unforgettable Fire. Then Unforgettable Fire had Wide Awake in America, which was kind of a palate cleanse that then led to Joshua Tree. Then Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum was kind of a palate cleanse that led, led to Octane Baby. And then the problem for them, I think, is that Pop, in theory should have been the palate cleanse and they ended up making it a full record, which I love, but I think that it, or Zeropa actually, pardon me. Zeropa was the palate yeah, cleanse yeah. to pop and then pop, but pop never raised itself up to the, it felt undercooked to most people, which it was, but I, I loved how they challenged themselves. So is pyromatia, is that a, is that a palate cleanse? I, I kind of, it's funny. I would love my palate cleanses to be actual songs I've written. <laughs> But, uh, but until I can, until I can write faster, I think that the palate cleanses are going to be for a while. There'll be little other people's songs done by me. And then at some point it'd be fun to do. I mean, yeah. uh, Wide Awake in America is, I mean, it's unbelievable how good those four songs are. It's just, uh, yep. That got me. All right. So we've already talked about pop. We, uh, I don't want to spend much time on pop. Oh my God. But I I pop. pop has, I, so I wish they would songs. go back and re-record some of those songs. I, yeah, I but feel what like... I liked about it was it was so punky for them to do a record that sucked, but that didn't <laughs> suck. Like, that was so badass for a band to be that big and and make a record that, that it's just, I love how cocky and fucked up it is. And it's like, and songs like Please, Gone, uh... I, I just, I'm a fan of that record. I'm, I, I'm a fan of Zuropa. I mean, like, yeah, I, lo- I love it, love it all. Yeah, I, I just wish that they would re-record. They're, like, there's elements of Mofo and Staring at the Sun where I'm just like, oh, oh, I don't like the production for that. I just wish that right. they would go back and re-record some of the, those elements. But on the whatever. pop tour, I think they they came out to Mofo. And it was so good. And they re-recorded all those singles, actually, on that record in an attempt to do exactly what you wanted them to do. Not for you, maybe. Maybe for you. Yeah. All the single versions. (laughs) 
or re-records or remixes or whatever because they knew that it was sort of half-baked but yeah. man mofo live i'm looking for this looking to fill that god-shaped hole holy shit and then he's like i mean that, that it's just so good oh my god what a band and they were such a better band in my opinion during pop than they are now like it, yeah. it, it's just like they were so hungry and so weird and so powerful even in their like skidding out into a wall in 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 like in business terms but in in creative terms that record moves me so should i go find youtube clips of live versions of of that record to change yeah, my I mean, mind it's, about it, that record well even go find i if i ever see i have the cause i have like the cd singles and i'm sure they're up online somewhere but like the yeah. re-record of please the re-record of um last night on earth you know i think they redid a bunch of those things in an attempt to finish it but i was psyched i mean i thought everything about it was awesome it, it was okay. not it was not octung baby it was not joshua tree and it was not unforgettable fire but it was uh i'll take it i'll take it any day all right well it sounds like i've got some homework to do then <laughs> yeah all right. Well, well, let's actually talk about Acton Baby because I think we've talked about everything else you uh, two related. So, um, Acting Baby, seventh studio album by you two, released in November of '91, and this was definitely a reversal of their '88 release, Rattle and Hum. Wayne, you've already alluded that there was a mishmash of live stuff and and recordings that they did in various locations like doing a- angel of harlem in the sun studios they decided to kind of reverse course they ended up recording this in, in berlin's hansa studios in october of 90 and if you're not familiar with hansa studios so let me give you a glimpse of some of the pivotal records or just really great records that were recorded there um so here, here's, a, here's a partial list. So Brian Eno recorded Heroes with Tony Visconti there in 1997. Or excuse me, 1977. Can't read my own re- notes here. Um, Bowie had said he, he felt totally anonymous in Berlin. And I think that that's probably what U2 was hoping for is and why they retreated there was they were hoping for that anonymity as well. So here's some of the other records that were recorded there. The Idiot by Iggy Pop, Lust for Life by Iggy Pop, Construction Time Again by Depeche Mode, Some Great Reward by Depeche Mode was also recorded there, Nick Cave recorded there in 84, Killing Jokes Nighttime from 84 was also recorded there, Um, oh, Black Celebration by by Depeche Mode was also recorded there, Um, Psychedelic Furs, Midnight to Midnight in 87 was recorded there pixies bossa nova was recorded there in 90 and um i know that there's been a bunch of other ones i know snow patrol also recorded there in 2008 for their record uh, 100 million sons so on the cure when they were i don't think nothing from there made it but that's that was their their first label was hansa and they worked in that studio on the stuff that was that the stuff that turned uh, the guy from Fiction Records onto yeah. him. How big is Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir for this record? 
Huge. I, it, it, what's amazing is so only on the uh, No Line on the Horizon record, they got co-writing credit, but up until that record, they didn't. And I think it's a huge mistake because I'm certain that they had everything to do with being a... Joshua Tree was like a six-legged beast, right? Because Flood, yes. you know, so was Unforgettable Fire, but really it caught its stride at Joshua Tree and you had Flood, Eno, and Lanois, and then the four guys in the band. So a seven, seven-legged beast. And uh, yeah. and Eno and Lanois, Lanois all over Octung Baby. I mean, and, and that's, Eno flew in and out is how they, when they made the record, he would sort of like come in for a couple of days, then leave. But Lanois was there for the duration. And you can tell there are parts that a thousand percent, he, it's all him and he's in the room making it happen. And they didn't give him songwriting credit, which I get, but it's like for a song, like stuck in a moment on, uh, all that you can't leave behind. There's, there's, I mean, I wasn't there. But that is Eno. I mean, that's Lanois City. That that's Eno and Lanois City, the two of them. And it's like, but you know, they're not co-writers or whatever. But I think Bono picking Lanois and Eno, uh, picking Eno, and then Eno bringing Lanois is such a crucial part of their development as a as as because that's why Bono was so great at what he did because he understood the team and he understood that the band needed something more than Steve Lillywhite. And so to bring in Eno and Lanois who were just be- Lanois was just beginning to be the master. Um, it's, it's just, it's everything. I think he, I mean, Lanois guitar floods, guitar sounds and Lanois thing. I mean, that intro to one, uh, that riff, the guitar solos on the record, that's all. I mean, Edge obviously played a lot of them, most of them or whatever, but like, man, Flood, that sounds on that record, that guy should have gotten a co-production credit. You know, that was a yeah. real that was a real group effort for sure. Yeah, to- totally agree. Actung Baby. So let's let's uh let's look at the Rolling Stone top five hundred. So we we do this quite a bit on the podcast where we want to see where the records landed. So where do you think Acting Baby lands on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time? Yeah, top 100. Oh, top 100? Yeah. Probably either 60 or 60 or 90. It's uh number 62. So let me tell you what's uh what's sandwiched around it. So Moon Dance is 65. Phil Spector's Back to Mono is 64. Sticky Fingers by the Stones, 63. Appetite for Destruction is 61. I mean, Appetite and, for Destruction is one of the best records ever made. So I can't believe yeah. that it's not in the top 10 of anybody's anything. I mean, that record is so fucking good. <laughs> Preach. Right. And, and all right. So, so now I'm going to get some, some vitriol. Here, here you go. Here's here's sixty to 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 fifty eight. Ready? I'm Wayne, ready. I want to hear. I want. I want to hear. I want to hear your response when I say this. So number sixty is Slime the Family Stone, greatest hits. First of all, greatest hits. That's that's jank in and of itself. But all right, Slime uh, the Family Stone. Sly Stone is one of our geniuses absolutely. for sure. But saying his greatest hits is one of the best records of all time is tough. Yeah. That's just, it, I mean, because it, it is, it is tough. It is one of the greatest records of all time, but it's a fucking greatest hits. You can't say it. Right. You can't put that. Appetite for Destruction is a greatest hits and there's, it's not their greatest hits, but it's so exactly. perfect all the way through. Yeah. 
All right, Meet the Beatles is number 59. Probably my least favorite Beatles record. Um, and then number 58 is Trout Mask Replica. Oh, yeah, Captain Beefheart. Captain Beefheart and his magic band. And I, I no. I don't know. I say, it's David Fricky and Jan Wenner, and I don't know. They can bite me. That's ridiculous. Well, this is the problem with all that stuff is it's like, uh, and I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people who are music journalists at this time, but it's like, I don't, I don't care what those people like. (laughs) Like, I don't care what anybody likes. Like, like, why do I care what, what any group of overthinking people think about a record? It's like, I think one of my favorite records of all time, you know, like it's got, there's just so much baggage attached to a list like that. That I just I used to really like cling to it, and now it's just like, oh, come on, everybody! Everybody needs to fucking go outside and go for a walk, you know, like go get some fresh air, eat a eat a burrito, and then and then never make a list of the top one hundred records of all time. Yeah, well, I I have like zero faith in the Rolling Stone list anymore. Not that I had a whole lot of faith left, but I was looking at their list for the top fifty U two songs, and <laughs> Sometimes you can't make it on your own. Isn't even on the list of the top 50. at all for the top of the that's top in 50. My top five. And I'm like, that's yeah, me too. It's that's just a travesty to me. So did anybody watch the documentary called from the sky down talks about the making of act tongue. Love it. I watched it like a hundred times and cried every time. At what, which, <laughs> which part did you cry? I mean, there were so many parts, but the, obviously the part where one, where one emerges from the jam and uh, it's fun to be able to be present, like that they, that they have all those tapes and then watching Bono and everyone listen. And when it appears, you can hear it and everybody gets excited on camera. It's a really magical moment. And, uh, and that song is just so next level that it's fun to watch it emerge. God walking through the room, that thing. <laughs> Just, I'm having the strongest sense of deja vu I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I I would say that the best part of that documentary is just watching Bono in his creative process. Like he would do, I guess the Edge called it the the, the Bongolese language, where he just kind of would yes. scat over the music uh, that they had created. And he didn't really have lyrics per se, but he was like trying to create a feel for certain parts on how those would be sung. And then he would write the lyrics that matched. So, so do you, do you do that? Is that part of your creative process as well? I mean, I have tried that. It definitely has not been as successful uh, as it has for the, you know, I call Bono the five foot seven Irish Jesus. So it hasn't (laughs) been as successful for me as it has been for the five foot seven Irish Jesus. But um, yeah, because so the Bono Bongolese thing, you know, ever since Unforgettable Fire, when they did, you know, Elvis Presley in America and Promenade, both of those songs are kind of vamps that just, I think they just ran out of songs. I think they'd spent so long trying to get pride to happen on Unforgettable Fire that they ended up having like Fourth of July, which is an instrumental, MLK, which is a, you know, an acapella minute long song. And then these two, Promenade and Elvis Presley, which are kind of two of my favorite songs on that record. And they're sort of these vamped, weird lyrics don't make any sense. Him just sort of, you know, the like, uh, 
Elvis Presley in America are the drums. They slowed the drums down from sort of homecoming. And then he just kind of vamps about see the sky turns inside, you know, it's like, and it's, it's transcendent. So I always thought, well, man, if that's the way my favorite band does it, then I got to do it that way. And uh, it takes a really long time to write songs that way. I'm just going to tell you straight up. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I did a, I had a record called some mad hope and a song called wedding dress and a song called come and get hot, you know, come and get higher, which is sort of my, all those songs, but almost every song on that record was me just sort of like living with the tracks for like a year and a half and trying to like make lyrics work. And, uh, and then the record after that I try. And now what I'm trying to find is like a nice balance between coming in with the song kind of written and being able to kind of have a little bit of freedom to interpret when the band is going. But man, the U2 route is a long ass road to hoe. I got to tell you. Yeah. And, and keep in mind that there's, you're only writing by yourself or maybe with Aaron and there's four guys plus Brian and Daniel and who flood are, and, yeah. and flood who, who are contributing. And so that's gotta, that's gotta just allow for a lot of um, creative tension. But th- th- yeah, this is what's so great about you too, at least at this point was that they were really like, um, someone, I, uh, pretty good story that I heard from somebody and I don't know how true it is or not. Um, but they were friends with the Pearl Jam guys and Pearl Jam were going through like real struggle as a band. It was kind of on the record where they were supporting you too. So it might've been versus they were supporting you too in Europe. And, uh, you two guys said, you guys want to come out and go to this club, you know, after and come hang with us. And so stone and Jeff went to this bar and in the back of the bar in the back room essentially all four of the you two guys are sitting around a table together and then everybody else is kind of standing around them and stone and jeff kind of pulled edge aside and let you know during the night and said man it's amazing that you guys like each other like we've been in this band like you guys hang out together we can't even get anybody to get along in our band and the edge said well that's because we put our friendship above everything else so our friendship is is more important than the music. It's more important than the money. It's more important than everything. So that if everyone's not respecting each other, it doesn't work. And so, you know, there's a lot of stories about acting baby, how, you know, there was struggles and Larry wasn't happy and they had to find, but, but there really is like a bond between these guys and their spirituality and their, and then Lanois and Eno had been there already one whole record and flood. It was like, I feel like, and Bono is just way better at going out on a limb than, than me, <laughs> frankly. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Bono is like, that was his superpower at that point is that he sort of fearlessly would go out into the unknown, whether it be, you know, in concert, you know, climbing something or jumping into the crowd or whatever. But really, like, creatively, he must feel incredibly confident in the, in the muse or the process because you know, he, he allows himself to be around five or six other voices and doesn't get sort of like thwarted, doesn't feel like he needs to make people happy. And to me, that sort of like tension and push and pull is really what makes Octung Baby so dark and so great. And of course, Edge's marriage was, was not working and she was a part of their inner circle. So it's like, to me, that's the team at its finest is like everybody the team is just always better than the individual, especially when the team has been together since they were kids. Yeah. 
Has there yeah. been any other bands that have stayed together, like from the first album, same lineup through, you know, how many years have they been doing this now? Yeah, so they're, they have one of the longest running. Our REM did it, you know, up until they broke up and Bill Berry quit, actually. So, but you had nine REM albums and it was the same thing. It was like mutual respect and balance and unity. And then like, you know, I think we did a, did the math like ZZ Top is one of the bands that's been together the longest uh-huh. of any band with original members. But I don't think they play on their records anymore. I think it's pretty much Billy Billy Gibbons and like a bunch of ringers. Yeah. Um, but like another example, Aerosmith, even though both guitar players were gone kind of in the late 70s um, and they had two other guitar players, they've been pretty much the same band. And as you can tell, that's one of the most dysfunctional. I mean, especially because what happened in the news recently. I mean, that's like dysfunction at its finest poor joey oh i mean dude poor all of them they're also so uh, joe joe perry and steven tyler are so haunted (laughs) but it's like but it's what makes them so legitimately like moving when you when they're on even at 75 there's nobody can touch them and it's like you too was the same way it's like that's what's so great about music is like it's the more dis not the more dysfunctional the human is but the more porous the human is, the more available the human is to that experience. And if you have four four of them or three of them or five of them, then it's like you get this really good shit, you know. And you two just were in such a hot moment uh, around, you know, from Unforgettable Fire through pop, essentially. They really were just – they were just on. It. They were like in another world. Yeah. So – Let's let's kind of change gears towards uh, really focusing on Actung. So, well, I, I guess I can't really do that without asking this question. So, was it because of Rattle and Hum that they felt like they had to do Actung, or was it, yeah. or or was it just how big Joshua Tree was, or was it both? I mean, was it just that whole, you know? time period where they just felt like they needed to do an about face. Have you ever seen the footage of like the love town tour in Europe at the end of rattle and hum? I mean, that is some, that is a fucking tired bunch of dudes. I mean, like the edge is taking these like very long solos that are awful. It's like they just sort of, and they look like parodies of themselves. They've got like cowboy hats and the things that made Joshua tree look cool. They just kind of look, tired at the end of the love town tour and they just kind of look like a, it's like it even though i love some of those shows you know i have bootlegs of them or whatever it was definitely like that was a band running out of, they had sort of done this shtick as much as they could this sort of like we america here we come thing and so it's like so i think by the end of that by the end of 89 or 90 or whatever whatever it was it's like I just think that they were still so hungry to be creative because they were still so young and they were still so like, they still had such a fire for creativity that it's like Octane baby. And, and we, we talked, we've talked about this before, but like the music scene in Manchester was such a huge influence. It's like music. And at that time, if you were dialed into what was going on in Europe at the time, like it was fucking going off. And so, you know, here they are in the center of it, young enough to still care about music you know what I mean? And, and to still be now it feels like you two just wants to win. Then they wanted to win, but they wanted to like fucking move the earth and mountains when they wanted to win. And so, yeah. So I just think it was kind of a combo. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into each of the songs. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on the number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? 12. Which means our top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite, 11 on down to our least favorite for one. Here we go. Here's Zoo Station. Let me just throw this out there. This is my least favorite song on the record, but I think it's the most important song on the record because it sets in motion what this album is going to represent, not only for this record itself, but for the rest of U2's career. Thoughts? I, 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 it's not my least favorite score, but I definitely, I, I agree that it's important. This is a great way to start the album. I mean, there's these, these, these like industrial sounds that, that really do paint that, you create that atmosphere of a train getting started. And, and there's even like a, a whistle uh, effect kind of in the, in towards the end. So it really has this great getting started, um, you know, getting the locomotive moving down the tracks and starting towards something completely different than what, they did before especially on joshua tree and what and really what anybody was doing at the time yeah yeah i mean yeah i i'm down with that i feel like zoo station is uh i remember hearing it and and loving it from like uh like if if this were a theater play or something it was like the first act that like dragged you into the story and it kind of like the way it starts with the you know because the guitars on this record are so unbelievable the edge and flood and lanois together created like in my opinion the best guitar tones of my of my like life you know and and it's like the song drops you in i just think it's funny when i listen to the record and even live it was such a good opener that was the those were the days when you you needed a song to set this the tone for an album because people listened to the album and then people would come to the show and it would set the tone for the show but for me it's like it's kind of a in in all the years since 1993 or whatever you know it came out in 91 but since like 93 i think i skipped this song i don't think i've listened to this song all the way through except to do research for this you know again <laughs> so it's like I, I don't think it's like it just feels a little bit like uh a, you know a setup it and and yeah i i think it's it's crucial to the record but it is not crucial in my life yeah and i and i think the lyrics there's one set of lyrics, which I think is really intended for the fans where, you know, it says, uh, time is a train makes the, the yeah. future, the past leaves you standing in the station, your face pressed up against the glass. I mean, that's, that's, that's them throwing down the gauntlet of saying, look, you either jump on this train that we're going on or just stay in the station and keep listening to your Joshua tree and unforgettable fire. It's your choice. <laughs> 
Yeah, but this but it's funny is like in all the lyrics leading up to this with the the laughing gas and duck dive and all this these and that cool it's got this really cool like muffled uh, effect on his voice and the the zoo station sounds like an incredibly scary but exciting place to be headed towards. Yeah. Yeah, and th- and that was my th- there was an, an article in I think Musician Magazine and I think I forget who the person who did it was, but um, it was a review of this record and it talked about that the whole record is a journey of one man's descent into hell away from his home and away from the people that he loves in order to sort of taste the forbiddenness of the world. And then he ends up going back, you know, not necessarily happily, but understanding that like, there's work to do. And so zoo station to me is like, sounds like the beginning of the party. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, here we go. Like everybody's putting their tie on and putting on their crazy shoes. And like, if it was a montage, like at the beginning of Saturday night fever or something, you know what I mean? Like where you're getting ready to like go out for the night and it's like staying alive is playing over the top of it. So that's what it always reminds me of. Is he descending into hell for a bottle of milk? <laughs> like Alex? I was, Dude, I was so bummed that that was the B-side to The Fly when I first got. So I bought The Fly single when yeah. it first came out back in the day when you couldn't like just download it or listen to it. And I bought it at, at the record store in my college town. And I listened to that thing till it wore out. And I was like, because the B-sides to Joshua Tree were so exceptional. So good. And and the B-sides to Rattle and Hum even were pretty exceptional. Like all of it kind of worked. So I was like, oh my God, Alex sends him to hell for, you know, I didn't know Clockwork Orange. I didn't know anything. Right. And I got it. And it's like this instrument. It's like, it's just like, give me a break. You know, oh my God, I was so yeah. bummed. It, but the, but the fl- fly murdered me. So it didn't matter. Yeah. It's no Spanish eyes or dancing barefoot. Cover. Oh, dude. Or Luminous Times or like, yeah. I mean, even when he's like, Walk to the Water, where he does that thing that I, I don't know if you know the Robbie Robertson record Storyville that Lanois did also that has a song called Somewhere Down the Crazy River, which took so, took the same vibe from Walk to the Water, like where Bono's talking over this sort of like crazy, weird harpsichord sounding thing and washy. But it's like, oh, my God, Bono was so on fire with his the voice that he doesn't do anymore and the voice that kind of embarrasses him now. But like that sort of like, oh, yeah. You know, that like grunting Irishman thing that I just think is so dope. And the B-sides were of Joshua Tree are like those things to like the millionth degree. So good. Well, you used to do sweetest things. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, I did. Uh huh. All right. Uh, Let's get some some scores on this. Matt, what you got? Zoo Station 1 for me. Wayne? A 7. And then uh, I already told you this is my lowest. Leads us to even better than the real thing.
this was second single, second single, right? We, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I was going to do some research on this because I think in Europe, it was like it was either second or may might have been first. I have okay. no idea uh, if we could Wikipedia that, but uh, but anyway, it was definitely like they shot at the same time they shot the fly video, right? I believe it's all the same kind of footage. Looks that way, yeah. It hit the Billboard Hot 100, peaked at 32. However, on the alternative songs chart was number five, and on the U.S. mainstream rock chart, it was number one. Because when I saw that it was 32, I'm like, I heard it all the time, though. And well, I was listening to, I was listening to the alternative station, so that makes sense. Yeah, but, yeah. So, so Matt, I I have the benefit of seeing scores in advance, so. Am I am I guessing that this is another one that you skip over to get to one? <laughs> yeah, if the record started at one for me, it wouldn't have the same arc, obviously, and it wouldn't feel very theatrical. Yeah. But for me as a listener, I feel like from one to love is blindness, it's like nothing is wrong with the universe when that happens to me. But but when I was a kid and I was in college and like I bought it at midnight and I went back to to my buddy Jonah's house and we listened to it three or four times in a row until like the sun came up. We listened to every inch of it and it was majestic. I mean, it was, it was fucking incredible. And so like, I mean, literally I'd known this kid, Jonah, he was a senior and, and he was graduating at the end of December. And we found out that we were both U2 fanatics. So we went to the midnight um, sale of, you know, when it went on sale and we went to his house off campus and just listen to it over and over again. And it was like, I felt like someone had cracked open my mind, you know what I mean? And like, and just like thrown it around. I'd never had a record that had done even Joshua tree, which is pretty maj- like majestic and amazing set. You know, it's like, it doesn't do, this is real theater music. I loved it, but yeah, I'd skip it. Definitely skip it. Yeah. You, you just described my, uh, my feelings of queen is dead. That was what opened kind of oh, uh, God, the, what a the, record. that kind of opened up the universe for me where i'm like you can make records like this all right mm. the, the smiths were so unbelievably good in such an unbelievably short period of time yeah like yeah they, they just had they were bursting at the seams yeah i don't know if anybody who has that small of a footprint but that powerful of a footprint i just well, i love the smiths it's funny yeah and it's funny like you would equate that to something like the Beatles who had an equally short ish runway and changed the, you know, it's like, it's funny when you, when you see that kind of thing, like Van Halen, the first four or five Van Halen records came out, bam, 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 one every year. And they were, they were, it was unreal. They, they, they sound like they were beamed in from Mars and everyone gets better. And then all of a sudden it's like 1984 happens and then they break up. The whole thing happened in like six years. Uh, you know, six years of records or the police, another example of like 78 through 83 or whatever, but it was like, wham, bam, 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 bam. And you're, and then all of a sudden you're at every breath you take. It's like, what the fuck happened? You know what I mean? Like, this is incredible. And then they break up. It's like game over. Right. Right. Wayne, what, what do you got on even better than the real thing? Well, number one, I love lyrically. I love, it's got this real pickup line, you know, feel to it. He's, he's trying to get this girl to give him a second chance, give him another chance. Um, He's telling her she's, she's better than the real thing. She is the real thing. She's even better than the real thing. But uh, I, what I love about it musically is how it continues on from what they, you know, the train gets going on zoo station 
And now this thing is rocketing through the, the German countryside, really into what what this what this record, what some of the things that made this record great and the, their future sound. Yeah. Yeah. And when he says, you know, take me higher, like that part is just so it really is good. Like I shit on it, but I mean, I've never touched anything even close to this in my life. It's like, God, are they are they paying? So talking about that last verse, are they paying homage to Under Blood Red Sky when they're talking about we're free to fly the crimson sky? Is there kind of a a throwback? I didn't think about that. Yeah. Just curious. No, I, I didn't think anything about that. Okay. This record has, that's one of those lyrics that, that kind of sounds absurd. And then the follow-up line, it's very Dylan. Like the follow-up line doesn't sound absurd at all. Like we're free to fly the crimson sky, you know, whatever, but the sun won't melt our wings tonight. I think the sun won't melt our wings is such a great line. Um, and the crimson skyline is a little like, eh. and they do that a lot where they'll on this record, it's, the first time where the lyrics kind of get tongue in cheeky and sort of goofy. And then, but, but the secret of that kind of thing, which Dylan does better than anybody is that when you deliver a line, that's kind of goofy and kind of thrown off and kind of feels like they could do better. But then the punchline is something that like feels like a wallop way harder than it would. If, if you didn't do it that way, it's like a really great way to set up and, and very few people do it. You know, like Leonard Cohen does it. Lou Reed does it. Dylan is the king of it. Joni Mitchell does it where it's like you, you put throwaway lines in and it just, what it's doing is it's winding you up to, to set you up for the punchline. And uh, this was, I, this record lyrically is they've never touched a record. This lyrically, this is their pinnacle. I think it's where it all comes together in a great way. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores on even better than the real thing. Wayne, what you got? Eight. I just like say I like the way it 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 continued off of of what they just started and really got it moving. All right, uh, give this a six and Matt two. Okay, this is your deuce. All right. <laughs> uh, next song is one. What can we say about one? I mean, this is just a, a masterpiece. Uh, the third single was released in February of 92. Uh, it was a top 10 hit, peaked at 10. Uh, alternative songs, number one. Mainstream rock, number one. And I felt like I couldn't go, I couldn't turn on MTV for like a stretch of like four to six months without seeing one of the versions of uh of one on uh mtv or vh1 is that pretty accurate yeah yeah and they were cross-dressing in the video which i thought was so dope <laughs> like it was just so that was i'm saying they just they were stealing it from like depeche mode you know depeche mode was doing so much more alternative stuff than you two and then you two totally like 
took the mantle from them a little. You know, they like you two just got got weirder than they actually are on this record, and it and it didn't feel disingenuous. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I'm going to throw this out to you guys. So while I was doing research, I was listening to to the the, the CD and. I texted a bunch of my friends while I was listening to this record one night. And I said, I can't decide is one, the greatest U2 song or, or do I still stick with bad? (laughs) I think I have to say that I think one is it's, it's funny. It's like, it's a, it's begrudgingly my favorite song on the record because it's just so good that you can't deny it. It's like, yeah. You know, when they say, you know, to to pull off that lyric, we're one, but we're not the same. We got to carry each other. That's so heavy and so ripe for like Hallmarky, you know, Hallmark card bullshit. And they pull it off in a way where it feels like urgent and super sad and super beautiful. And like, again, this is one where the verse lyrics, you know, to use leper, Jesus, these are like big, heavy sort of words that. Before it's like, you know, love, love is the t- love is the temple, love the higher law. You ask me to enter, then you make me crawl, and I can't be holding on to what you got. It's just it sounds all sort of like he's talking. Whereas like with or without you, which is my favorite song of all time and my favorite U two song and my favorite song of all time, those lyrics are really sort of rounded off. They don't really grab you. They're they're really good. But but th- from like a literature standpoint, this paints such a dirty, amazing picture. <laughs> like, did I did I disappoint you? Did I leave a bad taste in your mouth? Like like that's a that's there's a lot more crotch going on in this in this record, you know. And it's like, and so it is not my favorite U two song, but it is, and it is not even my favorite song in this record. If like forced. But it is so magical that I feel like it can't be it can't have any holes shot in it. Yeah. I I I decided to stick with Bad as my favorite song. Yeah, what a I, song. And, I, and, and I and I think the live version is probably from from any artist, that's probably my 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 go to song. If I if I had to if I had to be if I had to be uh, you know, waterboarded and they said pick <laughs> Pick pick a favorite song. That would probably be it. So, um, go, going back to the the lyrics of uh, "Did I disappoint you or leave a bad taste in your mouth?" You 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 mentioned Hallmark. It, would that be a good Hallmark card? <laughs> That's my kind of uh, card, actually. I like yeah. that. Like, yeah. uh, but you know what I mean. Like to say to get sort of Eastern like that and be like, "We're one, but we're not the same. We got to carry each other." That's just like such a perfectly. I mean, it's still so important. And that's what's so great about it is like it takes what you, every Buddhist, every Eastern philosophy book you read or whatever talks about this kind of thing. But Bono does it in a way where it's like. But doesn't like, that also feel like because, uh, I mean, uh, this was in Berlin. This was, you know, the 90s reunification. It has there's lines in here that definitely feel like either the reunification of Germany and Berlin Berlin and specifically because there's a sister brother. We're one, but we're not the same Uh, there. I don't know. I, I, cause to me, this song, if you're at the end of a relationship, this song will tear you apart brick by brick until you're just a pile of rubble at the end. But I love that it has this, cause this is my favorite U2 song. 
And it just has, it feels like it has a bigger connotation or are more likely the inspiration possibly for the name and some of the lines. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And also the edge was going through this divorce, which I feel like he had a lot to do with the lyrics. Like, I feel like Bono was speaking for the edge when he wrote a lot of these songs, um, because for whatever problems he and his Bono and his wife have ever had, they've never, you know, they, they're still together. You know what I mean? And so it's like, uh, and this was the end of the edges thing. So, so edges marriage. So yeah, I sort of feel like being in Germany, you know, but it's so applicable now. It's just a fuck. It's just a great song. <laughs> it, yeah. It's just so good. Yeah. And the, and the way that it, it's origin story, essentially from that, from the sky on down movie. I mean, if you see that and you cannot, if, like, you don't have to believe in God, you know what I mean? But like, if you don't believe that the universe definitely, uh, that there's like a wavelength and a frequency that we all exist on. And when you dial into it, great things happen. And it's like that moment is totally one of those where you're just like these four gentlemen, definitely, you know, there's definitely people that when God comes in the room, like Quincy Jones says, like Bono says, it's like, they definitely go here. Here it is. Don't get in the way. Let's go. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. I also spun the maxi single of the, of this, this week. So B sides include cover of satellite of love and uh, the remix of their Cole Porter cover night and day. And and then Lady with the spinning head should should Lady have been on Acton? Definitely not. Okay. <laughs> Did you ever? If I should send you these, you could probably find it. But the Acton Baby sessions leaked, um, and I got like a CD of it years later. And you can hear kind of their rehearsal tapes, essentially, which are just them kind of jamming and things. Maybe it might be a song that became a different song, but it'll have different lyrics or a riff from a song. Anyway, and Lady with the spinning head kind of emerges. And it's like, uh, it's definitely a fully formed idea in a certain way, but it is definitely uh, not a good one. (laughs) (laughs) I was playing devil's advocate there. So, yeah. All right. All right. Let's get some scores, or do I even need to? I mean, yeah. yeah. I don't think so. I think it's it's self evident. We're well for me. We're one, and we are the same. For the scores so yeah all right, 12 all, right. all around yeah all right next song until the end of the world This, I guess, originated from a guitar riff from Bono uh, on a demo called Fat Boy. And uh, this ended up being used in the film. Which came first? Do you guys know which came first? The film or the song? The song, I believe. Okay. You know, Wings of Desire came first, which was the very first. We're talking about actually Stay. I was getting confused. But like... 
Wim Wenders, you know, was making, I feel like the soundtrack until the end of the world came out. I don't know what the exact year is, but it had to have come out maybe a year or two later than this record. Didn't it? I think so. And that soundtrack is just amazing. Loaded. It was so good. Fretless by REM. I remember just killing me. There's a uh, Ray Davies song that Elvis, uh, Elvis Costello does. Yeah, he does oh. days. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's a Patty Smith song. There's a Nick Cave. It was Death's Door that by Depeche Mode. That that yeah, that was the song that killed me. So is that the one that goes? And I'm knocking on Death's Door. Uh, you totally got it. And yeah. I get my rest. Father, are you hating? Mother, are you? Fa-? That song is nuts. That's so good. Oh my god! Is that only on that soundtrack? No, I think it's on. I think it's on one of their records. I think they yeah. ended up putting on putting on one of one of their records. But but that tough. song is bananas. Yeah, maybe that's a that's a covers. Could could you could you do a a, a cover ZP of Depeche Mode songs? Oh my God! There's a song on uh, Black Celebration called he, I think it's called Here in Here in This House that is that got the best harmonies. Like uh, Martin and and Dave Gahan sing these harmonies and it's like, I've always wanted to do it acoustic. We, Aaron and I tried to figure it out and maybe, maybe even, maybe we should, maybe we should do like, um, yeah, maybe do a, um, an Anton Corbin, uh, EP where it's like dedicated to all the artists that Anton Corbin took amazing photos for. How could you do, how could you do some of the really, uh, big synth riffs though? Like the, like the first riff of, of never let me down. How could you, how could you interpret that onto a guitar? Could you do it? Oh my God. I don't know. I could try. It would definitely sound man folked out. I don't know if that would be as good. <laughs> That's uh, a, do you like your Depeche mode with a side of man folk? There yeah. you go. All right. We are totally going down the wrong path here. Uh, all right. Back to you too. So uh, this song wasn't released as a single per se, but it did chart on the rock tracks chart. Uh, number four on the the modern rock tracks, which I do remember hearing it on the radio. So I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't released as a quote unquote single. But what do you guys have to have to say about like the sequencing coming off of one going into into this song? Well, this is the first of the songs that <laughs> in the scoring wise that I came across that I because this I wanted to score this twelve eleven. Eight tens, a two, and a one. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I I gave this a four, and I I don't I don't feel comfortable with that at all. There's several others that I just it's it was, but it was brutally difficult. Uh, but this one, and I know the version that's on the soundtrack is a different version than the one on on Octoon Baby. It's also, but they played the Octoon Baby version in the movie, like during the movie. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I heard it was. In, it started with there was a rift between Bono and The Edge, and and Bono, as all great songwriters do, falls asleep and has a dream where Jesus and Judas have a conversation, and then it's got and that that really gives it a a, a lot more texture when you you see some of these lines about you know eat the drinking, yeah, eat the food, drink the wine, everybody having a good time. I took the money, uh, you know, in the garden I was playing the tart kissed your lips. There's all these Judas Jesus references into this song that uh, really, you know, it, it's, a, it was, I just, this four just is haunting me as I'm staring at it on this piece of paper. Uh, it's, it's so good. So I feel the same way where I feel like 
I have my one or two favorite songs and one or two kind of least favorite songs. And then the rest of the songs kind of live in this like perfect place where they should all be tens essentially, you know what I mean? Because, but until the end of the world to me is like, again, not to harp on the Dylan thing, but it's like, this is definitely the most Dylan song in the group. Cause it's like, it's, it's the most traditional song too, from the perspective of like, you were uh, it, the tagline of like you were talking like it about the end of the world. You were acting like it was the end of the world. You said you'd wait until the end of the world. All of them are three completely different uh, meanings of the idea of until the end of the world. And it's like, and the lyrics are just so good that like, I just think it's, I think the production is amazing. I think that the sonics are amazing and lyrically it's untouchable. They've never, I don't think they've ever written lyrics this good since or you know this record this particular song feels like i mean like i spiked your drink i took the money you miss too much these days if you stop to think every line is like barbed and sort of saucy like i was playing the tart to use the line tart to say like going down on me spilling over the brim it's also like sexual waves you know we're as close together as a bride and groom you know, we drink, we, it's just, it's like a, it's really good. I go back to it all the time when I'm writing songs and I think like, have I used enough weird words, like barbed, strange words, because it's and super Lou Reed to me in that way too. It's just like, when you listen, when you read a Lou Reed song, it's like, it sounds like punk poetry. It sounds like Bukowski or, you know, um, what's the guy who did, these are the people that died. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Jim, Jim Carroll. Carroll. Yeah, it's it's very Jim Carroll. It's very Bukowski. It's very like it just feels super dark and uh, super super like crotch. Super crotch. <laughs> super crotch. That's a, that's <laughs> that was almost Bono's character. If the fly hadn't happened, yeah. If the fly hadn't worked out, we we're gonna go with super crotch. You know the 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 one epiphany that I got out of this this whole. Uh, you know, rediscovering this, this, this record was, I always thought that he was in the garden playing his guitar. I always yeah. thought that that was the lyric. And then, uh, you know, I'm looking at the lyrics. I'm like playing the tart. Oh, <laughs> e even better. I always loved that, that line. I always thought it was guitar. Well, and yeah. And tart is such a strange word. It's like, it's, it. it's like a very polarizing word. Some people will be like, no way, tart, that's awful. And some people are like, that's the best line ever. And they do that so many and so many times. And then I was looking at the at the I got the Digipack when it first came out on and and all the pictures are so dark. Like you open it up and there's a picture of Adam and Bono and Larry like staring at the camera. And the artwork is like black and gray and like super deep colors and everybody looks mad and then you listen to this record and it sounds kind of sexy and pissed off and it's like this was definitely that the idea of like this is definitely not your brother's u2 or whatever this is not 1989 u2 or 1987 u2 i mean it's like it was everywhere whether it was adam's penis on the back of the record or you know like the edge having like skull a black and white picture of like wearing a bandana that's got fucking skulls on it you know what i mean it's like they just seemed pissed off and and determined pissed off and super crotch <laughs> so all right let's get some scores on this i've got this as my eight wayne as i, I gave it a four and then matt it even, it even hurts to say it 
I, I mean, know. dude, I, get, I gave it a five only because the numbers are cruel. I don't I want to. It should have been a 10. So it should, you know, we're so cruel. So cruel. So cruel. Hey, oh, hey. All right. Next song. Who's going to ride your wild horses? Because I needed the cash. And you killed it. Because I wanted revenge. Well, you lied to me. This was released as the fifth and final single in 92 B side of the cassette, which is what I had was uh, their version of painted black and CCR's fortunate son. Didn't do a whole lot on the charts. Uh, peaked at 35 on the billboard hot 100 alternative song. It was number seven. And I have to ask you this cause Maybe it's just the various methods of listening to this song for me, but I was traveling. I was listening to the Spotify version of the song and the string arrangements at the beginning of the song seemed turned up way louder than the CD version that I own. Or oh, yeah, they re they remixed it. They didn't yeah. get it. I think this is the one they didn't feel like they got right for single. And so when it came time to put it out as a single, they kind of fucked with it a little and it's why they kind of bailed on it live as well. They, I, I saw the indoor zoo tv tour maybe like 10 times and i and i want to say that they played it and then they stopped playing it or something i didn't i forget but it, it was not it didn't really stick around because it it just like didn't when i first heard it i thought it was the best song on the record because it's so poppy and so sweeping and the lyrics are so good and then i kind of and it has that am amazing middle eight where bono sings you know uh, when he's like, I'm going to refrain from trying to hit the note, but he hits that. Don't you look back that line, that note is so very hard to hit. And like, he hits it full voice and it's amazing. And then over time, it kind of felt like a little two dimensional to me and I kind of bailed on it. And then now I, I can't live without it. I think it's so good. Like to say you're dangerous because you're honest. It's such an awkward, you know, like you're a piece of glass left on the beach I lied to me because you you lied to me because I asked you to like the, none of the lines sing well in the verses, but they but they sing totally with attitude. And, you know, it's like, you know, you you left my heart empty as a vacant lot yeah. for any spirit to haunt. Jesus, what a line. I mean, it's like and again, it's a real risky line. Like you left my heart empty as a vacant lot for any spirit to haunt could be seen as cheesy. And it's just not, it's so good. <laughs> the hunter will sin for your ivory skin. That's a potentially terrible lyric. And it's like, <laughs> and it works so well. I mean, like, and it, and it's, it like floats. This song floats in such an amazing way. Oh, I fucking love this song. Yeah. Yeah. This is my second favorite U2 song. I mean, and just to show how close it was, when I listen to one, I feel completely comfortable that that's my favorite song on the record. When I listen to Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses, I'm not comfortable that this is my second 
song, my second yeah. highest rated song. And I, and I love it. It does have these almost sappy, cheesy lines. Like when he's doing that driving rain thing, he's got, you know, your gypsy heart, which is a little bit played out, but then saltwater kisses. I mean, who says that? That's, I know that's a great line. That's, that's a totally just, it's like he yeah. alternates, like, you know, there's driving rain and ivory skin and, and, but then there's, you know, you wanted revenge and all of these, these really, like I say, I've known this girl at least three times. I think I divorced her twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, and that dangerous because you're honest. Yeah. Well, I told you that I thought that guy was hot. It, that doesn't make it okay to make out with him. I mean, there's, and just the lines about <clears throat> um, how, you know, I, you killed it cause I wanted revenge. You can just see that flipped around. This guy's in this relationship. That's, that's, that, that has probably never been good to begin with, but it's, as it's closing out, he doesn't want to let it go because it's at the same time, who's going to ride your wild horses and who's going to put up with these antics and this craziness, but he's, who's going to, who's going to worship you. Who's going to fall at the foot of the baby, please don't go. Yeah. And, and when he, and he says, and what I love about this record, and I think that's why they called it Octung baby, but it's like, there's so many babies and baby is such a trite thing. But like when he says, baby, can we still be, it's so Nick cave. It's so Sinatra. And it's like, it, it, he, this is a fucking perfect record. I don't know what anybody else would want out of a record in there. You know, maybe a little bit better groove. Maybe if they had actually, you know, like the, the this is good. This is groovy for four, you know, Irish men that are like, you know, four white Irishmen. But it's like, you know, like they, it could have a better pocket. It could maybe have a little more music musicality or whatever. But I just think, I don't know what the fuck else you'd want in a record. Like, truly, like, it's so strange. You're a piece of glass left there on the beach. Like, like left there on the beach is such a weird way to phrase that. And not saying you're a piece of glass on a beach. You're a broken piece of glass. It's like you're a piece of glass left there on the beach. And it's just, it works. It defies itself yeah. from a songwriting perspective. Like you say, this is the album I listen to when I want to listen to music, but I can't. I don't know what I want to listen to. I I instinctively put this on. Oh yeah, it, yeah, it's perfect. Oh my god. How many times did I hear the line, uh, "Baby, can we still be friends?" in the nineties? Oh my god, that was my. I think I I copy wrote that for most of my life. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's get some scores on this. Wayne, you already said this is your second favorite, and I'm matching you. I'm matching your 11. Nine for me, but it should be a a, a 10 with all the rest of the 10s. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Moving on. So cruel. mentioned uh mentioned it a couple times as far as like uh, the the lyrics go of it could be some lyrics that could be trite 
where the next line is just so spot on. This this one is it. This one is like ripe, ripe, ripe with it. And 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 this totally has to be Edge's wife. I mean, it's like you, you we cross the line. Who pushed you over? It doesn't matter to you. It matters to me. Matters to me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, the resentfulness in this whole thing is as probably part of why my score is lower because. I, you know, I don't know that Bono play, plays the uh, play a sympathetic character in this, but just that 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 first verse where it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter to you, it matters to me. Whose fault? It matters who's who's responsible. You're responsible. This is on you. <laughs> I'm only hanging on. Like it, it, in terms of mean lyrics, I'm only hanging on to watch you go down. Yeah. Is a is real good. Like I love a good vindictive line myself, and I've written a couple. That one is like my go to when I think of like. Gee, I wonder how mean I could be. It's like, well, we're cut adrift, but still floating. I'm only hanging on to watch you go down, my love. Like, well, there it is. That's the meanest line. Like, that's great. Everything you wanted and it wasn't what you wanted. Yeah. And there's no fucking rhyming. It's like, it's like, it's like the whole, there's the verses don't rhyme. We crossed the line. Who pushed you over? It doesn't matter to you. It matters to me. We're cut adrift. We're still floating. I'm only hanging on to watch you go down. Those don't rhyme. That's just a bunch of mean shit put in a row. Yeah. And it's like, and and even the the you know the only part that rhymes is you say love there are no rules sweetheart you're so cruel the rest of it is just like trap time lips lie dove a, you know drug that rhymes a little bit but it's like it's just it's just mad poetry. What's the meanest line you've ever written? Well, the one that comes to mind is you're somebody else's baby. Yeah, you're somebody else's crazy now. <laughs> Good riddance. Yeah, that was my favorite. You're somebody else's. Yeah, that whole re- there's a song called Queen of Knots, which is on a record of mine called Modern Love. And that that's that's my most directly mean lyric. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Should we get some scores on on this bad boy? Yeah. Production wise, by the way, I think So Cruel is understated and amazing. And again, really B-side like, but the lyrics are so strong that it takes it to the A-side, keeps it in the mix. Like if if they hadn't gotten the lyrics right in this, it so wouldn't have been a song that mattered. But right. but it but it they made it matter. Yep. I gave it a four. But it should have been a ten. Yeah. I gave it a three slash ten. <laughs> And I give mine a 5 slash 10 as well. All right. Uh, Next is The Fly. lead single first single and as bono would describe the song he says this is the sound of four men chopping down the joshua tree it's pretty pretty accurate uh and and just as i said about zoo station i think that this is this is one of the least favorites on the record for me but still i feel like this is super important because like zoo station it marked the departure of 80s u2 
looking at the charts, so it didn't didn't do well on the Billboard Hot 100. It only peaked at 61. But alternative song, number one. Mainstream rock, number two. Yeah, I think this was like the warning shot. This was like the for real. Like when I first heard this, I I I I couldn't I couldn't stand up. Like I the first time I heard it truly it like it melted my fucking brain. I couldn't believe that this was the my same band. And it in the in the best way. Like because they were all in there and it was them, but it sounded nothing like anything they'd ever done. And it was like lyrically it was so smart. And so I don't think this was more of like a this felt like a warning shot, like a this that was the time when you could put a single out that nobody really liked, but that set a mood. <laughs> and like I bought this, like I said, I bought this on Kasingle and I, it truly, every time I hear it, I'm moved immensely by it. Like in my bones, I, I, I did one of my favorite U2 songs and I just think the, the sort of the, it, they call it the, the low voice and the gospel voice. And then the other voice Bono singing like, love will shine like a burning star. And I don't think I'd heard him use his falsetto that consistently at that, up until that point. And it's like, dude, and it's no secret ambition bites the nails of success. Every artist is a cannibal. Every poet is a thief. They all kill their inspiration and then sing about their grief. That is fucking Dylan 101, and it is so fucking good that I can't stand it. I can't stand how good it is that I go back to that fucking lyric so often to when I'm writing my own songs, and I'm like, well, does it stand up to the parts of the fly that are really good? No. Well, then keep trying. It's like so good. Then you're yeah. gonna hate. You're gonna hate my score for this. Then okay, uh, Wayne, what you got on this? I. I love it. it's it's a little, it's darker it's sinister it it goes right along the lines of the zoo I always uh, I always connect those two two songs uh, just in the feel and the way and I I can't ever whenever I hear this song all I can see is Bono in those wraparound sunglasses kind of just creeping around the stage it, it's and it's just amazing and like I said I, will, I give the tambourine a lot of, of of static on this podcast but this is he is the finest tambourine player in rock and roll excellent tambourine work yes and and two other things before we get our scores it sounds so manchester stone roses the groove is so fucking club like late 80s manchester drug fueled club groove where there's like congas going on and and tambourines and a bass line that's like thumping away and grooving and it's like and here's the deal this line, they say the sun is sometimes eclipsed by a moon, right? Which is very throwaway. This is what I'm saying. This is the perfect example. You know, they say the sun is sometimes eclipsed by a moon. That's a shitty lyric. But when it follows up with, you know, they say the sun is sometimes eclipsed by the, by a moon. You know, I don't see you when she walks in the room. That is fucking great. Oh, my God. I can't. I can't. I'm sorry that I'm. I just. It's too good. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stone Roses and Happy Mondays would, would kill to have lyrics for any of their songs. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was definitely a different, a different, yeah. it filled a different thing, but they definitely aped all that on this record and it's got all that attitude. Like, I don't know if they were doing all the drugs or if they were, you know, whatever, but they really adopted it. was the first and only time that they super adopted at something that wasn't. It was a very Madonna move where they took something that was successful, but not on a major level, 
it was successful on a club level or on like a, it was successful in England or whatever, but then they took it and they expanded on it and made it bigger than it was. That's like Madonna's whole thing to like kind of be ahead of the curve. Yeah. And they, that was like, they sort of cannibalized that sound. And, and in, for me, they brought it to a commercial place that was much more satisfying than the stone roses or the happy Mondays. Absolutely. All right, let's get yeah. some scores. Matt, what you got? I mean, it's a, it's an eight, but like, it should be a fucking 11.6 for me, but I can't, you can't, there's no points. Wayne. I gave it a, a five in the middle of the middle of all the tens. It's 10.5. All, right. all right. And it's my two. <laughs> Sorry. I feel really bad about it. You got to have a two. You got to have a two. I know. All right. Mysterious ways. That's the next song. was also a single uh second single that was released in december 91 and i feel like this this was released like right on top of the fly it felt like i heard both of them like the same hour on some some radio stations they all felt real boom 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 like yeah it was the fly ever even better than the real thing one mysterious it was just like they were just coming watch us one one after another and even though the fly didn't do well on the Billboard Hot 100, it it did chart, uh, hit the hit the top ten, peaked at nine. However, on mainstream rock and alternative songs charts, um, those were both number one hits, and hit number twenty nine on the U.S. Hot Dance Music chart. Whatever hey. that whatever that means. There you go. That's a very fucking thin chart right there. That one, <laughs> the, uh, it, you know, it's funny. Irish guys on that chart. No, dude. Other, it's like, th- yeah, that's for sure. And you know, <laughs> if you think about the arc of the record about this descending into hell idea, the fly is like so cruel is the moment before he kind of doubles down. Like, so, so cruel is like where he has to convince himself that like he's doing the right thing by leaving in his mind, whether it's right in real life or not. And then the fly is like, him doubling down and then mysterious ways is him like in he's fucking at this point, like mysterious ways is like straight up the sex scene of the, of the movie. Like, it's like, it's the apex of the debauchery. You know, it's like, he's surrendering to the idea. They use a she, but the idea that like he's surrendering to it. And it's like, she's slippy. She's you're sliding down. She'll be there when you hit the ground. It's like a, you know, again, like those are, those like to use slippy and sliding down and that, all that stuff is real again bringing the crotch so it's like if you want to kiss the sky you better learn how to kneel that's again that could be religious yeah. but in this song it feels sexual and it's like this is this is the person who is the in the the subject of the whole experience is like fully committing to being debaucherous and giving up on the world that he 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 came from to like go in and and the groove is sick the congas again this is the 
grooviest they've been, man. It's like, I think Larry and Adam both took a lot of lessons on like bass lessons and drum lessons. And you, it, the pocket is just for real. Whereas before it always felt a little bit like a marching band and a guy with a playing the bass with a pick. This, this feels like a guy playing the bass with his fingers and somebody feeling the pocket just gets real good. I mean, it is funky. It's, I think that's, it's, is the uh, the word that kept coming into my mind because I love this song and I I definitely took it from a different perspective as you but I think it ultimately I think it works together because this I read something about you know he he about how he the idolization of women and there's these great these great lines in here where he's basically you know comparing her to a deity you know like God moves in mysterious ways or works in mysterious ways she moves in mysterious ways you know to touch is to heal. Uh, there's the turn the tide and better learn how to kneel. I mean, there's also, they could be looked at in a, in a like with religious connotations, but like I say, if you, when you think of having sex with a woman, like you're talking about, that's, that can be that it can turn into that. So it's this, this idealization of her uh, and comparing her to God, which once you've got right. your panties, that's well, that, and, well, and that's it. It's the projection onto somebody. That's, that's what it's like all the things that this person is missing in whatever they left that's how I always interpreted it is that they, this person that he's talking about who says on your knees, boy, that kind of thing. It's like, it's a perfect, it's like the perfect person to project your fantasies onto because they're not real. And in non-reality, it's really easy to elevate people to a place that they don't deserve to be. And so it's like, and it doesn't mean that the, that men and women naked, isn't the greatest thing ever, you know, or men and men or women and women, just the bodies of humans coming together. Like I'm, I'm way in, but when somebody's jaded, and somebody's kind of broken, it's like you need somebody that's not the person that you're in love with to project onto. And that to me is what, what it feels like. Um, but that, again, that line you, know, we all, you don't do with your wife, which one, the line, there's some things you don't do with your wife. <laughs> that line does not exist. <laughs> yeah. I'm but not it's sure, like, I'm not sure what song you're referring to Wayne. <laughs> No, no, no! I, not not a not a song. That'd okay. be great. Oh, oh, that idea. Oh, okay. If you two could work that in, no, I just yeah. meant that. That's I, it's a phrase I've heard in movies. Oh yeah, no, no, but it's this idea that like it's so easy to project onto somebody you don't care about and ignore all the parts of them that don't work because you're trying to compartmentalize and just experience them for what you need them for as the resource. But you can't do that in real life because as you know, and as we all know, is like, because there's too many things coming together, it's impossible to, to ignore the parts of that person. And so it's almost like real life. This like mysterious ways to me feels like full on submersion in fiction. And that that's, you know, like that the fly was like doubling down on this idea. I've taken on this persona and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to sort of, just submerge myself in fiction for the night. I've, I'm, I'm going to do this, that idea. Yeah. Love it. Let's get some scores. I gave it a 10. I, I, I've just always loved this song. I love it. I, I gave it a three, but I would have given it a 10, you know, cause it, it's so <laughs> important, but it's, there's more important ones in the line. It's like the Southwest airlines lineup <laughs> line. It's like, you know, it, you know, if you're 63 or 64, does it really matter? Well, it kind of does. And it kind of doesn't, you know, right. There you go. And I'm giving this a four slash ten. So, all right. (laughs) Trying to throw your arms around the world, and that's the next song. Yeah, I dreamed that I saw Dallas with a supermarket challenge. He was trying to 
are going to think that I'm completely high when I tell you what my score is, but um, this is my second favorite song on the record, and not by much, because there's a lot of there's a lot of second favorites. Um, but I always come back to this song. This, this song is like a warm blanket to me. It's just, I love it. It's one of my go-tos. Um, and when we're talking about lyrics, so the lyric of a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, I always thought that that was the greatest line, but it, apparently it's not Bono's line. It's a quotation from Irina Dunn, who was a Australian senator and writer, social activist, and filmmaker. Which, um, anyways, it uh, that that's just disheartening to me that that wasn't Bono's line because I wanted it so but so much to be Bono's line it, it, lyrically this is another high watermark song. And I think production wise, again, the sound of the bass, the way the bass is put in the mix, it's really hot. It's really big. It takes up so much room. The drums are kind of small and it's like the pocket grooves. But to me, this is like the waking up the, the morning you wake up and you feel like um, you feel badly for the things you've done. And it's like, he's talking to himself you know, sunrise like a nosebleed, your head hurts, but you can't breathe. You've been trying to throw your arms around the world. I'm going to run to you, run to you, woman, be still. This idea, it's like waking up in the gutter with a, with your wallet gone was what I think somebody referred to it as. And that's like mm-hmm. the idea, like you, you sort of like got drunk and you got high and you did all this stuff. And then the next morning, it's just regret city. And it's like, I got to run back to you. I got to. And it's like, you know, the sun is coming up and you're somewhere in like in the ditch and like you know, in, in New Delhi or something, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever it is. And you're just like, well, that was a fucking party. And then you're like, where are my shoes? You know, that, that's what this is like. And lyrically, again, I don't want to keep going down this road, but uh, stunning lyrics. Yeah. Even the parts of the, the nonsensical, like the, yeah, I dream that I saw a dolly with a supermarket trap. I, I mean, that whole, I just love it. It's no, it's real absurd and real good. It's very Dolly, right? Yeah. I dreamed that I saw Dolly. Absolutely. Supermarket trolley. Oh, so trying good. to throw his arms around the girl and open top beetle through the eye. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's great. That's what I'm saying. There's fun. Like you two was never fun. <laughs> like they were many things and, but musically they were deadly serious and they never, took themselves they there was never a tongue-in-cheek there was never like a van van halen was tongue-in-cheek elvis costello was tongue-in-cheek you too is always earnest in a way that people hated to be able to say like i took an open top beetle through the eye of a needle that's like that's embracing the fact that you it's goofy but but it's like it makes everything so much heavier that's what's so crazy about it it's like if you have a sense of humor then it's heavier than if you don't have a sense of humor and you're just trying to be heavy. 
it's like it adds this depth and this dimensionality to these songs. And that's one of the craziest ones because it's a whole verse of like nonsense. But but the song is so fucking major. It's like the song like they call the record Octung Baby, which is so absurd. But but the record is anything but anything but light and fluffy and goofy. You know what I mean? But they, you know. So you're saying Bullet the Blue Sky wasn't tongue in cheek? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, like, dude, Joshua Tree was the least tongue in cheek record in the history of My the world. Ex- except maybe calling a record war. Like, literally, they called a record fucking war. Like, and all the songs are like, you know, maybe Two Hearts Beat is one is the only thing that at least feels kind of sappy, you know, in a good way. But like, they were just always so deadly serious. And it was, and it, they took the, again, took a page out of all the great writers, Nick Cave, Lou Reed, you know, Dylan, Joni Mitchell, a little like comedy goes a long way in yeah. making the song feel more important. Absolutely. Wayne, you got anything on this before we jump into some scores? No, I, I, I've, I've never connected to this song and I did think it was silly. And my favorite line was uh, the fish needs a bicycle line. And, and there's, the, it's the lack of guitar, which is what I kind of try to pin it to. There's This has the least amount of guitar in it. Mm. Right, okay. right. Yeah, a lot of bass and that little pocket of the drum. But yeah, it's Bono. Bono carries the whole thing. Yeah. All right. Wayne, that kind of sets you up for your score. What is it? A deuce. All right. Ooh, the deuce. The and dreaded this, deuce. And, yeah. this is the, and this is my 10, my legit 10. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you and are Matt, high. Matt, what what's your score? Mine's a seven, but it it should be a ten, ten and a half. It's like it's important, and it's and it never isn't good for me. Yeah. All right. Here's ultraviolet. In parentheses, light my way. song has appeared in a number of films. U2 Business Venture was named after it. When I saw the Joshua Tree 30th anniversary tour, uh, this was definitely in the set list. So are we surprised that this song was not released as a single, considering how much they still kind of embrace the song? So it doesn't feel like a single to me. And they didn't play it on the original Octung Baby tours. They did it at the beginning and they dropped it, I believe, as well. I don't remember them doing it. Um, I might be wrong, actually. Don't quote me on this. This is the part of where your brain gets fried from just being old and you can't remember. But it doesn't feel like a single to me because it just feels like a it just feels like a rock song. Um, and it's again, he says baby so many times and in any other situation, it would be stupid. And it's just so moving to me. This is one of my favorite songs on the record by like, if one didn't exist, this is like 10.5, 11.5. It's like, <laughs> I just think it, it's, we, it's very Raymond Carver lyrically. Like, um, like uh, the last two, these two songs kind of occupy the same space for me in the Carver thing, like 
you bury your treasure where it can't be found. Your love is like a secret that gets passed around. I mean, holy shit. But there is a silence that comes to a house where no one can sleep is very Carver. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, I just think I love when they go all out rock band thing. Cause they, they, they do it really well. And this, because of flood, the record sonically is so strong that when they do do it and they don't do it, they haven't done it yet. It, the, like, I don't think even better than the real thing. It doesn't have it. The fly is a little bit funky. Zoo station is a little funky. Ultraviolet and Acrobat are like rock. That's like their rock moments on the record. I don't. Now, now that you're bringing up that the this song and the next song are more Raymond Carver, I always felt like Love Is Blindness was Carver, and not totally these two it, songs. So I'm with you on that for sure. Interesting. All right. <laughs> I remember when we could sleep on stones, like that's a really fucking weird lyric. Like, and now we lie together in whispers and moans. I was all messed up and I had opera in my head. Your love was a light bulb hanging over my bed. And he changes that live to your love was a light bulb. It just went over my head. You know, like that's a great fucking verse. Like, that totally must have come out of Bengalese, because if you sit down to write a lyric and I said to you, I got a line, I remember we could sleep on stones. You'd say, that makes no fucking sense. We never have slept on stones. <laughs> like, what does that mean? But it's like, but it works in the context of the song and the darkness of the song and the lightness of the song going together. It's like, and then uh, the, the edge singing, ultraviolet, ultraviolet. It's just, ah, oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah, and like to what do you say about big rock song? That's absolutely I couldn't agree more because this is the one song I feel like could have been it would have fit on Joshua Tree. It has the that yeah, has yeah. that classic Bono, classic Edge. Um, it really and I say for that reason it I gave it a really high score because it feels like a connection from the past. Like that that's the anchor that links them to what made them the biggest band in the world, and then the rest of the songs on here are the future and what, what, what we're going to, we're not just going to sit around and, 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 and rest on our laurels. We're going to take this to another level. We're going to do something that no one else is doing. That's but interesting. This is, that, this is what keeps them anchored. Yeah. That's interesting that you would say that this, this feels like a Joshua tree song. I, I wonder if that was a conscious decision on their part to include that in the set list for, you know, the Joshua tree 30th anniversary tour of this this and one were the only two songs off of Acton that made it into the set list. So I wonder if that was because plus there's a, ho- a hopefulness to this too that yeah. I mean it's a lot of the re- the what I I always relate to as relationship songs in this do end up just like the Edge's Marriage and this one has a much more closer to the to the to the middle where we still have a chance you know and he's and he's comparing all these things you know we used to lie on the stones i always picture that as you know lying on the ground we we fuck anywhere we were and now we can't even we lay next to each other we don't even speak and right there's this oh yeah you know it's all falling apart and it could go sideways any second baby baby please light my way let's not give up on this let's there's there's still hope there's a future there's an optimism in the song that also uh I enjoyed. Okay. Well, and it's, and it's funny. And this is the moment where he reaches out to her and says, I need you in this thing. I, 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 I left you and I did this thing and I've come to this conclusion that you're essential to me. So I need you to help me figure this out. And then that leads you into Acrobat, which is for the first time ever, he kind of, he turns it on himself. You know, I must be an acrobat to talk like this and act like that, you know, 
and like, don't let the bastards grind you. It's like, he's kind of talking to himself. And so ultraviolet is really like, it's the first time since one where he's recognized that like the person that he lives with in real life is going to have to help him figure this out. Yeah. Great points. All right. Let's get some scores. Wayne. Nine. Matt. I mean, 10 going on 50. I love this song. (laughs) And seven going on 10 for me. All right. Acrobat. So don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what you see. Uh, how how relevant is this song still today for our day and age? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Man. Uh, a couple things that I read about this uh, really made a big deal about the different timing. So this is in 12-8 time. And since we have a legitimate musician guest with us for this episode, so how tough is 12-8 time? You got any songs in 12-8 time? I don't have any 12-8. Uh, no. And it's, uh, yeah, this is where my musicality, uh, it's more of an innate thing and more less of a skilled thing. But uh, one, two, three, one, two, three. So it's three, it, right? They're doing 12 over four. I have no idea. Okay. It's all a big mystery. But it's definitely swings in that way where it feels like a waltz. But you know, it's like one, two, three, one, two, three, you know? So it's... Yeah. It's got it a swing classic. to it. Yeah, it feels like it. That it absolutely had that feel of flying acrobat. like yeah, up, up in the air, up in the top of the big top. You know, just keep moving. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Jump. You know, grab the next one and and keep moving. And and you can swallow and you can spit. Oh, you can yeah. thro- throw it up or choke on it. It's like that's so good. I mean, it's like it's really really unbelievable. And then to me, this is one of my favorite U2 songs of all time. No hands down, because again, it's like, it's them being kind of this mighty rock band as they're not a mighty rock band, like Led Zeppelin, obviously they're not, they don't groove like the Rolling Stones, but what they do do uh, at this stage in the game is like what Acrobat is. It's like, it's in their wheelhouse. It's like driving bass and Larry's playing the toms and it's like everything just feels like a freight train. And because it's in that sort of six, eight, that waltz thing or 12, eight, whatever, it feels very like it's kind of off putting. And, and it's like, I named my record label Acrobat Records after the song. Cause I just think it's just perfect. And in dreams begin responsibilities, I believe is a, he stole that line from Delmore Schwartz, who was a, who was a Lou Reed's professor, I think, who ended up becoming a poet. But like in dreams begin, like, so think about it from the perspective of the theater aspect of it. At the end of the song, he says, in dreams begin responsibilities. And I can love. Yeah, I can love. I know that the tide is coming, turning around. Like, I I got it. I got this. Because the whole song is so dark. And then at the end, he's like, I can do this. I can love. And it's like, 
And then he goes into Love is Blindness, which is like, again, it's very, there's not a happy ending, but there's just sort of a resolution of like, all right, this is how we do this life and we're going to do it. And, and I'm going to make, I'm going to make it work and it's not going to be all, you know, fun and sex on stones or whatever, you know, it's going to be work. You know, I always try and predict uh, Wayne's top songs and I, I, you let me down because I, I figured with a line like, don't let I didn't let you down. You two, down. you two piled in too many unbelievable songs into one record. <laughs> and besides, as much as I, and I, this is what happened though, because this is a breakup record to me. And so the songs about relationships gravitated towards the top because yes, absolutely. What I love about the song is the sentiment. Don't let the bastards grind you down. And, and, and if it, maybe if I, if I hadn't been, heartbroken at the time this would have probably because this is that's that's my theme song back especially in 91 i would never let those bastards grind me down but this is like i say those primal toms that that larry's playing if this is this is very sexy and exciting just like you know like the like the circus and and the guitar solo can we give a shout out to like one of the best uh, edge, yeah. like explosive moments. Although Love is Blindness, in my opinion, has the best guitar solo the edge has ever done. But the the explosion of this guitar part in this song is never not incredible. Like it just comes screaming and it goes throughout almost the entire end of the song. He carries it out underneath Bono singing. Uh, and it's just so good. It just feels like three dudes just on on like jet fuel in a room. And Bono just screaming over the top of it. It's so good. Yeah. Got swagger. A lot of swagger. There is. Swagger. What did we call it? Uh, mad crotch? What, what, what did we call it? <laughs> super, crotch. Super, super crotch. Super crotch. Lots of super crotch in this. Lots of super crotch in this. All right. Wayne, what do you got? I begrudgingly gave this a six. It should be, it should be much higher. Yeah. Matt? I mean, 11, if one didn't exist, I mean, it should, it's my favorite song on the record, hands down, except that one is a masterpiece. So you have to give one. So it's 11. Yeah. This is my three going on 10. I I feel bad for my score because I do love this song. All right. Let's wrap this up. Love is blindness. Good way to end the album. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You got it. I hate happy endings, so I love I love a little bit of tension. I didn't like that Boogie Nights ended with that positive thing where everybody was like a big family. I liked it better when everyone was at at ends, you know. And so it's like when a when a movie ends like this, Love Is Blindness. I don't want to see, you know. It's like this. I guess they didn't write this song originally for themselves. They wrote it for somebody else. I forget who it was, but they ended up keeping it. And it's like. Love is blindness on a certain level, but it's not. It's like, that's the irony of it is that I don't necessarily agree with this. Um, but I don't think that this person that's in this, that's speaking in this album has actually come to any real, I think that he comes to a conclusion. It's just kind of an inc- incorrect conclusion. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like 
like, and that's sort of dope that like the, what is it? The hero's journey or whatever at the end, the hero is still kind of comes up with this, has a lot more work to do, you know, but like love is clockworks and cold steel. What a weird line fingers too numb to feel. Uh, and then again, the edges guitar solo in this is, I would have, it's so the, good. I think it's, oh, I think it's floods finest moment as an engineer. I think it's Lanois finest moment. If he was even in the room, I think the edge it's like, and then if you listen to the way he plays notes underneath Bono singing at the very end, it's like he raises up underneath it. When the solo ends, he keeps playing and he plays underneath the, you know, Bono singing, love is drowning in a deep well, all the secrets were known to tell, take the money, honey, blindness. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, this, uh, is, this is so good. Nina Simone. Oh. Okay. That's who the, that's who the song was written for. Wait, was she was it really? Is was she alive at this point? Well, I would hope so. They wrote it during the Rattle and Hum sessions for, for Nina Simone. She yeah, must have died. She must Can you look up when Nina Simone died? She must have died close to this period, 93 or 2000, maybe later, I don't 2003. know. 2003. Oh, fa. All right, well that's great. Nina Simone is I mean Oh, that's a whole nother one of these yeah. talks. Oh, and it was written on piano, which would make I think it it would have been perfect. Yeah. To me, this is I this has a great closing credit sound. And like I've said, this album is very personal to me. So by this point, after you eleven brutal songs, <laughs> I am emotionally wrung out and I I probably lose consciousness, is what I'm gonna assume happens. This is, this is oh not God. a memorable song to me. Yeah, this is also a personal song to me, but for different reasons. So in in college, I wrote a short story about uh, a guy who falls in love with a blind woman, and I and I called it "Love Is Blindness." And Dude, that's incredible. You didn't, you didn't make it as a writer, huh? I'm still working on that part. <laughs> Um, but the, uh, my teacher was like, you can't use a U2 title for, for this. So I said, okay. So I went home, I changed it. Luckily she didn't know PM Dawn cause I called it through patient eyes. <laughs> so there you go. There's, that is, that's my personal, amazing. <laughs> that's my personal story with love is blindness, but dude. Uh, yeah. And, and it's not, and my, my short story was not a Carver um, cause there was a little bit of hopefulness to that. Let me, let me, let me just throw out one other literary thing. So every time I, I hear this song besides Carver, I think of apocalypse now or Conrad's heart of darkness. I just feel sure. that that's, that's what I associate with this song. Cause it's just brooding and dark and gosh, it's so good. Like I, after listening to this, I was like, I can't wait till the next record. That's that's oh, yeah. That was really the the attitude that I I got after listening to the song. So it's funny. It's like um, I always talk about U two in three stages. There's the U two like the rock band. There's like the there's like the fire stage, the fiery sort of rock band. Then there's the cinematic uh, sort of what's the word like theatrical rock band which was like from unforgettable fire through pop. And then there was just, it became kind of all theater in my opinion from like all that you can't leave behind on where it just sort of felt like they were playing roles instead of digging in, even though there's moments of greatness on all those records. And I love 
except for, you know, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, the, the, the last couple have been kind of stinkers with some moments, but um, I just think this was the pinnacle of their theatrical rock band time where they yeah. just got it completely right. They were unforgettable fire might've felt a little bit obtuse and sort of strange and little ethereal without much grounding. And then um, Zuropa and pop feel a little bit like, okay, again, you're kind of unmoored. This feels like it's, it's locked into tradition in a way. And Joshua tree felt a little bit too, it feels songy, but it doesn't have enough dream. This record has so much bottom end and so much groove, but then it also has so much dreamy, weird soundscapeness to it that to me, it feels like the, the perfect extension of post Joshua tree where a band like Joshua tree, you feel that band's limitations. And then in Octane baby, you feel like that band has no limitations at all. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. All right. Let's get some scores, wrap this up. So this is my nine, Matt. It's my six, but I mean, it's a 10 and a half same. And then Wayne. Uh, this is my least. Like I say, I, I think I lose consciousness. and uh, never, <laughs> Somebody wake him up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out for the count after this. There you go. All right. So this is, this is the part where I usually say, um, did we miss anything? Did we, did we cover everything? Yeah. It's, the, the, it, yeah, this is there's no stone unturned. All right. Yeah, it's funny. It's like U two is my favorite band of all time, and I and we've talked about and people get bummed because I think the last couple of records have really been phoned in. I feel like Bono puts all of his effort into hu- humanitarian causes, which he does incredibly well, and that's where his passion is, and his passion isn't with the band, and it hasn't been for a long time, and you can kind of feel it because I think Bono, you know, subsists on anger. In, a, in all these records. And I think that if you remain angry and you're that rich, then, you know, you got to up your therapy. Cause it's like that guy <laughs> has figured out how to exist in a life where he's not angry all the time. And it's like, but at this point, his anger was still, it's the engine, his anger and his drive. It's the engine of this band. And it's like, you, you, that only happens. It's hard to keep that going you rare to find somebody Neil Young has done it. You know, there's certain people that can do it, but you know, this was definitely feels like to me, the apex of their, you can feel it's a very definitive peak in their career. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this is where we take a look at our top five based off of the cumulative scores. Um, Any idea what number (laughs) One is yeah, that's good. A good one. I like okay. what you did there. All right. Uh, how about number two? Mm, trying to throw your arms around the world. Uh, no, that, wild horses. Yeah, horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah wild, wild horses. Wild horses. Ten point three three average score, followed by ultraviolet, followed by acrobats, and trying to throw your arms around the world. That was our. That was our five. That's pretty solid five, right? It's a yeah. perfect record, man. Yeah. There's very few perfect records. Like we appetite for destruction is perfect. Uh, the, you know, there's like handful of records that you wouldn't fast forward anything on. This is almost that, you know, for me, but it might as well be. You got to start listening to zoo station. If you're going to, if you're going to make that statement. 
I know. I got to go. I got to stop. I got to start living in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been fun, man. Oh, yeah. I will say uh, I, I thought that I loved Octoon Baby. And I after doing this with Matt, I realized that I just really, really like it because to, to, I still got a ways to go to get to get to that level. You need to have less of a life. That's what it is. <laughs> the less of a life you have, the more you have time to dedicate to things that no one cares about. <laughs> That's it. So, so Matt, remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of Matt Nathanson. Oh, yeah. On the at Matt Nathanson on Twitter, at Matt Nathanson on Instagram, at Matt Nathanson on the universe. I think Facebook, you know, and the, yeah, I'm everywhere. This is last question, and we lift this from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando. Uh, so he asks, who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Richard Marks, he'd be mad that we did Octane Baby without him. <laughs> um, Mike Viola is a buddy of mine, and he's a music fanatic. Butch Walker is a fanatic. Joe Elliott from Def Leppard is a fanatic of music so any of these people you crack them open and it's like they'll go on for weeks i mean truly you get butch walker to talk about van halen one or you get joe elliott to talk about you know mop the hoople it's like i think he could i mean it would make me look like i'm like i'm just getting started you know like i'm a kid (laughs) all right well we'll talk offline We'll, we'll we'll make some things happen Would you be down for uh, coming on another episode down the road? Dude, I will literally send you a list of albums that I want to do this with. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. So so as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited Podcast. We're also on Instagram, Records Revisited Podcast. Find us on Twitter, at Podcast Records. And you can find us on all the major streaming or just go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com, find all of our old episodes. And please go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, visit a record store. And not just on record store day, uh, because they probably won't have the reissue of Some Mad Hope on record store day anyways. <laughs> uh, we are Records Revisited, and we are... Out, 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 out. <laughs> out. <laughs>